Yo, yo, yo. Hello, everyone. We are live. Welcome back. Yeah, we're back. Uh, what is this, five? Five? This is episode five. Yeah, of five. Deities, Awakening from the Meaning Crisis. Five is a wonderful number. It's, uh, it's the only number that exists as itself in the Fibonacci sequence. One, one, oh, two, wow. three, five. Mm-hmm. So there's like 11, 111, two, two, 22. Uh, no, it's the one, one, two, three, five, eight, 13, 21. Yeah, yeah. Four, but yeah. I mean, it only exists as itself once. Yeah, yeah. Everything else just gets way bigger than itself. So five, something special about five. So there's no high Fibonacci numbers worth five? No, because you get to what? over a quadrillion once you get to like the 73rd number. So, oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, the Fibonacci se- sequence gets that just huge. Quick. Me out. <laughs> yeah. Five, man. Fifth five. episode. Welcome. Why isn't, yeah, wasn't there a movie named Five yet? That hasn't happened. I think that was a Jim Carrey movie. There's 500. Well, I think Jim Carrey. Or that's Car- 300. I think Jim Carrey had a movie where it was five, where he's like a crazy guy obsessed no, with No, but that was like 23 or something. Oh, like which that. is a five, actually, because two plus three. But anyway. Oh, geez. Oh, no. There it is. I hope that 23 is wrong now. Uh, I mean, lucky. Unlucky and unlucky numbers, like the 13th. That was unlucky for the Knight Templars. Yeah, well, you know. I'm sure there's a lot of things that were unlucky for the Knight Templar. It's, yeah, it ended up that way. There ain't no Templars rolling around anymore. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. Thirteen seems to work pretty good for me. Yeah, I'm down. Yeah. I like all the numbers. They're useful for their uh, for different things. We want don't want to be using twos where you need nines. Now, come on. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just telling you about this movie Cosmos that I watched last night, and there was something that had to do with numbers that was on my mind, and it just escaped me entirely. Because now I started thinking about the movie. The movie was pretty good. It's on Amazon Prime. It's about these like three amateur astrologers that go out and they're like playing around with their high high end telescope and listening equipment, looking at the stars, and they actually come into contact with something. And uh, it's actually a really heartwarming story. Oh yeah, so yeah, the the, uh, international communication across the cosmos would be math, would be numbers, because they they communicate in binary. Um, Well, we we sent out a message in binary a long time ago. Uh, from a telescope and so it was like our genetic configuration yeah let's hope like that a, the aliens like are friendly of, you know <laughs> you have to figure out the puzzle though and put it in the correct number of rows the zeros and one to even get the picture to come up and then see what it's talking about like saying we're a carbon-based species this is like mm-hmm. dna and this is what we're shaped like and i think the the like the the base unit that used to figure it out was the hydrogen atom, you know, one, one, one thing in the nucleus, one electron. Uh, I forgot to go live on Facebook. Oh, let's go live on Facebook. Hello, Facebook people. Sorry. Live video is starting. Boom. Okay. Now we're live. Now know. we're live on Facebook as well. I was only halfway. If you were live. watching on Twitch or YouTube, you actually caught that first five minutes. <laughs> Me freaking five. out about five, man. <laughs> I'm 23, man. Oh no. It probably was about five minutes too. I'm I had my numerology see. phase, and I still have this video. Over we'll it. find out. What was that now? Oh, I've had my numerology phase, but I've never really gotten over it. Numbers are funny like that. They just uh... Kabbalah is good for that, apparently. Uh, mystic, the mystic side of Judaism. Mm-hmm. It's all geometry and numbers, and really cool. Yeah, fun. Math magic. You got an analytical mind. That's that's one way in. Yeah, that's the yeah the mystical side of Kabbalah of uh, Judaism. Um, 
it's beautiful. It has this one concept of the vessel. And so the law of bestowal and the law of reception, mm -hmm. we are like receiving yes. this creation. We're experiencing it. And God would be this law of bestowal mm -hmm. and it's bestowing it to us. And the way to kind of complete the circuit is so we receive this creation with gratitude, with love, with thanks. And we actually are experiencing that originally through each one of our mm -hmm. living bodies. And so we return that, that individual experience well, that's back unto source the gift like, back. Like how you do give you... that feeling of gratitude and the experience with the experience, yeah. like this original experience. I'm enjoying this beautiful moment and experience. I just give it back consciously to God and thanks. Like, yeah, I've heard it. I've heard it explained like doing. this is like, how do you give a gift to the ultimate gift giver? Well, by receiving that giver, consciously gift. receiving the, the gift. Yeah. yeah. And there, we're, you know, we're supposed to forget. And then we remember that we're part of this great yeah. interconnected mystery that retains its mystery yep so if somebody gives you a gift that's where that like moral burden comes from of like you know like well you know i don't want to like let them know that i'm just gonna you know return it or whatever because uh that's where that comes uh, from is yeah. the, the giving the gift to the greatest gift giver is receiving the gift receiving humbly and, and being humbly appreciative and of it get, yeah, yeah and it's sharing that thanks in a way that it can be felt by the giver mm-hmm yeah. And that's part of like, and so that's an honest, authentic reaction. The only way that can come out is if you're being honest. Yeah. And in, in I guess past episodes have talked about that, you know, like man furthering God, furthering man, furthering mm -hmm. God relationship. It's the same mm -hmm. thing. It's the giving of gifts back and, you know, the giving and receiving of gifts has that same cyclical function to yes. it as well. Yeah. This reciprocal relationship. Well, and that's the as above, so below principle, you know, everything that he gave us. Yeah. Was the it reciprocal knowing. It's like how we know existence. Uh, I'm not sure the the exact word okay. that he he used. Yeah. Well, let's... I got the concept. Of just the vocab is, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's been moment. it's been a wild few weeks, so I haven't been keeping up on the vocabulary. But the concepts there, you know. I got to go back into my other notebook, where I have all my terms. Yes. Well, I guess episode ten, maybe we should do like a I'll like a, synop a, a synopsis on everything. Yes, like, yes, you know, yes. Just bring everything back to like this, 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 and this. There's this word, this word, this word, this word, this word. Catch up on all the vocab. Yeah, yeah, good idea. Because the words are people just put whole lists out of, as well. Mm -hmm. Some really good notes out there on the web that you can find mm -hmm. that summarize these episodes. Yes, and apparently there's a good Discord up for John Verveke, so check it out. Indeed, indeed. So here it is, the series, John Verveke's Awakening from the Meaning Crisis. Where's that beautiful image? Boom. Boom. Look it up if you've never seen this. Um, but you can drop right in on this episode. I don't think that would be too bad. But no, the this, series itself this is, is fascinating, yeah. and it's so informative. It helps us understand where we are, how we got here, how we may actually help usher in an awakening from the meaning crisis that our world is in. And potentially why to do it. You know, I'm, I'm. Why are we going through this? It's well, very important and also, to understand how. Why, so, why to help usher us yeah. out of this oh, meaning sure. crisis? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, it's like the more I learn about those who have walked this path before, and you learn, you know, their motives, like uh, Socrates and the uh, Sophists. You know, we we can relate to those motives because we don't like having power being just within a certain group of people. In this case, you know, the the land owning males. 
that we're citizens. Um, we don't, we don't like that. That's something that we can hold on to. So it's like, okay, well, you know, right. Yeah, actually that's great motives. And I don't like that either. And I don't like the fact that like knowledge, I guess one of the main reasons why I didn't go to college is because I felt it was like a place that, you know, did the whole be in our club, hoard the knowledge in just only little areas. And then, well, I grew up and I realized it's just adult daycare at this point for the most part. Sorry, John. I yeah. know, I know you're, yeah. you're probably nothing, great, but <laughs> n- nothing is our images of it either yeah. though. Cause it really is dependent on the professor, the, the professor school. and the, the student also. What, and what the student. Yeah. yeah. Well, the cyclical learning thing and the, I don't, the whole idea of continuing our education, I think is important. Well, that's what we're doing here. You know, Hey, for free on YouTube, you can get a college grade lecture education for free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for real. And like in 50 episodes of the meaning crisis, you can be caught up right where earth is, why earthlings are the way yeah, they are, how yeah. we got here and how we can continue to grow and awaken and create a better world together. But we are the stewards now, you yeah. know? Those of us that are the adults now or are coming into adulthood, uh, our highest responsibility as a global community, all knowing each other now, all interconnecting at high speed and high definition. Damn near real time, man. That's, Damn near real time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Across the world, all over. We have this great potential and this great opportunity. Of course, we are kind of approaching an eye. Um, it's like there's a funnel that the cosmos has built in to protect itself from life getting off of its home planet too easily because you don't want it. Well, you need you up. need to make it an ultimate test because yeah, nature on Earth it's just is a fun pretty story harsh to and wants you but... dead. Space doesn't care that you're going to die, and it does nothing to help you out. So space, yeah. well, is yeah. the ultimate. Like it does feel like it. It's it's like the highest level of graduation for a species. Sure. You're most likely not going to do too well unless you learn to be symbiotic with your with each other, with your fellows, and with the planet. Well, and the fact that it takes so long to get anywhere, you really have to think about time as a much... You, you'll have to think generally, totally generationally opposed to yeah. decadely. You right. know? And by generationally, I mean like 60-year generations, not 15-year We used to really be planning ahead for the next generations. Yeah, the concept we've of... All, I think um, we just lost track. Yeah. Well, this the seven generations concept that... Mm-hmm. Uh, Native Americans, I think, sure, I think it's right. Lakota, but like, they're you know after seven generations, you know, well, you have to prepare for seven generations, but also the prophecy of after seven generations, um, the white man will come back and embrace the principles mm-hmm. of. Um, and I'm probably getting this really wrong. It's been I think told that's to the Hopi you, prophecy. Yeah. So, but there's a lot of you know, hey, seven generations. If you think about not just your kids, your grandkids, or your great great grandkids. And I don't mean like dynastically, don't go that, but like, you know, like think about who's going to be here seven generations in the future. And even if you only succeed in. Yeah. What can we do? How, how can we find the points of agreement, the things we can't agree on that yeah. need fixing, say plastic in the oceans, microplastics in everyone's bodies at this point? Oh, what are we going to do with all the crap that we build up for ourselves? And I don't want to like throw it away or incinerate it because it's useful crap, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or, you know, what are we going to do with these Regener- base- regenerating topsoil? You know, trying to save the Amazon, maybe. Well, even, you know, like, really, we got to go into ourselves. What are we going to do with our base, baser well, that's animal the, mammalian that's, instincts that's that are useful begin. for surviving, but not necessarily useful for creating long-lasting civilizations that could hit the 10,000-year mark? That's right. I, you know, I at a friend's uh, birthday party where, you know, we're all drunk at the end of the night chatting and kind of, they started getting down on humans and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm human positive. And I was like, look, I want to make us, gotta be, I want to make us so successful that we're the fuel source 
for a civilization billions of years in the future. Like we're going to be that much fossil record, you know, <laughs> right. like compressed yeah. down into oil. Yeah. I want to be that. You yeah, know? I like, like the direction that we're going. As humans, I, I would even like though to see it's we're in a very disruptive time. Yeah, not thousands. I would too. Yeah. yeah, I think that we do get better and better and better. We've become increasingly multicultural. We're so intermixed. We've been intermixing for so long. It's like before we were even Homo sapiens, we were intermixing with like 13 sure. other hominids. Oh, yeah. Yeah, everybody has, well, to become what we are. There's a significant portion of the population that has Neanderthal, but as well as Denisovian DNA. Right. Yeah, and, dude. Yeah, like, That's wild. And they just recently discovered the Denisovans or Denisovians. Yeah. Right. Well, it's in the 2000s, I think. Yeah, recently, but very yeah, recently, though, in terms of archaeology. Yeah, oh, well, definitely you know, for sure. Our, but our time past. keeps slipping into the future, man. And I'm just like, oh, oh wait, wow. that was 15 yeah. years ago, 10 years ago. Yeah. Oh, crap. <laughs> yeah. And I think that is, you know, very much John Verbeke here in this series is referring to this sense of the ground is moving so fast beneath our feet. How do you feel stabilized in a world like this where so much is changing? It's no wonder that there is so much division and fragmentation going on. It's because. We have amassed so much power as a species, mm -hmm. yet we have neglected the capacities such as wisdom, the wisdom of love, that the wisdom that love has given us, basically, to be much more deeply considerate, multi-perspectival in our approach to reality and one another. Um, you know, all the great mystics speak of this interconnected oneness. That is the basis of all awareness. And it's like what we are before our senses of self, our personalities, our personages, cast images that we have to act and be through. Before that, there is just this awareness. And that all appears within our awareness, meaning that we are malleable and we can grow and we can watch ourselves and we can feel the sense of oneness that we have with everything around us because we really are grown out of this earth and grown by the sun and we are a constituent of these elements like how much of our dna is in common with the tree it's like over 60 percent yeah most of it like we're really yeah and well all uh, all and the we're trading atoms all the, chemical, all the time with everything around and us. all the chemicals we're made of what we eat which is this earth well 100 of the chemicals that make up the dna of the tree is 100 of the same chemicals that make up yeah. their dna too so yeah so so much of the anxiety and depression that we're feeling right now is very much humanity's Depression, right? Well, it's the stomach ache when you've. It's the sense neglected, of neglected. Uh, the stream is and... is drying out in the village, and you're starting to see it, and you're trying to tell the other ones, okay, we got to move on to somewhere else or figure something out, because we're going to run out of water soon. I saw it last season; it was lower than the season before, and this has happened for the last five years. <laughs> so, oh, maybe... that, but then there will always be those who will say, well. But if we just, you know, hold out to that good rain, we'll get the good times again, which is yeah. a good foil for it, though, because you don't want to like jump might ship. Be right. Yeah, you don't want to jump ship too fast, but also you don't want to sit around on the ship while it sinks. So in the case of the rain, you know, it's like you got to have a point where, you know, you have to go. I guess start finding water. I, I, in other I places. would trust the guy who re religiously went on top of the hill and took a big it's probably how tribes divided in, in times in the past. And then the one tribe, if it was feeling loving towards its old members that stayed behind it would start bringing water to them if it mm. found water or if they had a good rain maybe they'll go and discover their friends and be like wait the water's back yeah you know and and 
and that would happen. You know, we might be gone apart from each other for decades, and we meet again. Sometimes generations. Sometimes and generations. Yes, That's but we the... remember these stories of our interactions, and it... and so we developed larger unions, and we grew to the point of civilization. Here we are. So how do we learn to manage this world today? We're feeling a sense of de being destabilized. We're feeling increased anxiety in our world. We're feeling increased yeah. meaninglessness, hopelessness, all of these things. Nihilism is becoming more pervasive. And at the same time, there's this other movement that Verveke speaks of. It's like a yin to the yang. There is also this up movement of interest in mindfulness practices here in the West. This influx and adoption of Eastern-oriented mysticism and practices and insights and ways of being so we're starting to incorporate and they've of course been incorporating many of our own insights are as in the west european mm -hmm. enlightenment um but yeah. we, but we really are i mean we're also all around the world a product of this mix between the east and the west that occurred through persia that verveki will get into later on in the mm -hmm. series and happened all through the whole Middle East region as well. There's an intermixing in, in India of the East and West, and it spoke back to the East and the West. So we really are this global mind, mindset. Well, and we, we pretty much, level, oh, we, we've yeah. always have been in a, in a certain way. It's we've just, been growing world civilization together for a long which, time. It's yes, the, the speed at which at our which network communicates. Yes. And now it's... Yes, the distributive cognitive networks that we developed, yeah. one of the psycho talk technologies that Verbeke talks about that have helped really expand and accelerate humans' knowledge and impact over the world is been our ability to utilize things like language. Yeah. We get raised with language now. We have the ability to put our thoughts down and revisit them, and we can think much more increasingly broadly together as well, not just with ourselves like I can – put something down that I've learned mm -hmm. and be able to refer back to it. Mm -hmm. Would you but leave that share to that somebody with else people, too? Other people I'm sharing, I'm taking yeah. from. And so we've all been doing this thing. We developed language. We developed various other psychotechnologies like now the internet and of well, course, and all the psychotechnologies that come into using it. Like, so when you're talking about, you know, humanity and the lenses, a thought came to my head is like, well, all these media, like all the media that we use to communicate in this way is we're getting even more and more facets into focus of this one gigantic crystal that the light is shooting through. Yes. And so yes. We're, we're, it's almost like we're That's throughout cool time. We've been increasing our facet count and our rev, uh, resolution count. Mm -hmm. And sometimes to the point where it almost breaks us, I think probably like the That's the, a lot the, the fall of the bronze era probably was one of those things where it was just so much and we weren't able to keep up with it. And it just mm -hmm. goes, you know, but you know, that's just a thought, but I, you know, I have this thought that like, no, that makes sense. Yeah, sure. The, the one, We're everything taking in is so a much information. Yeah. A light and everything in the universe is just a facet of that mm -hmm. initial well, nowadays life. you're aware of all these different issues in the world mm -hmm. oh yeah and and we literally have facets like behind the camera there's can, a screen there there's another facet there there's the facet that we use on our phone the fa the facets of ourselves we put out on these things yeah like just ways of reflecting whatever you know that central thing is that some of us call god <laughs> that is it yeah 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 it's down to our tonality our emotional expression sure. It's very rich. Yeah. Yeah. Existence is rich. All right. That's, I mean, that's kind of off. We're rambling. Let's, let's we get on. Yeah, we're, we're rocking here.
So we're going to get into it now. This is John Verbeke's Awakening from the Meaning Crisis, Part 5, Plato and the Cave. Welcome to the fifth episode of Awakening from the Meaning Crisis. Last time we talked about how the Axial Revolution came into Greece. We first reviewed uh, Pythagoras. Uh, and then we concentrated especially on the figure of Socrates and the Socratic Revolution. And we saw, again, how issues of meaning, uh, wisdom, self-transcendence are, are so tightly bound up together. We took a look at Socrates, and we took a look at how he has a particular conception of wisdom in which what we find salient or relevant is closely, closely coupled to what we find true or real. And those two things, those two concerns, what is transformative of us and what is true of the world are meant to be held together. And this was pivotal in uh, Socrates' method of trying to get people to realize how much they, all of us are so prone to having those two come uncoupled from each other and we become subject to bullshit and to self-deception. And that a life that is beset by self-deceptive uh, self-destructive behavior is not a life that's worth living, that a way to afford human flourishing is by developing the skills, the wisdom to keep those two tightly coupled together. And Socrates was so convinced of how important this was, in fact, to making a life meaningful that he was prepared to die for it. And as I mentioned, there was somebody who was a follower of him um, who was uh, at his trial, not present at his death, but was deeply traumatized and affected by his death. And this is, of course, Plato. Now, if Socrates was controversial, Plato is beyond <laughs> uh, e even that statement. Every year there are hundreds of books written about Plato. Uh, this is why Plato is uh, one of the foundations uh, not only because of his ideas, but as we'll see, there's an inexhaustibleness to Plato and his writing. We can come back to Plato. As a culture, we come back at different times and see things we did not see before that are transformative. And as individuals, myself uh, personally, you can come back to Plato at different times of your life, and Plato speaks to you in ways he did not speak before. I, I want you to remember that because I'm going to try and uh, suggest to you that that is a better model for what we mean by something being sacred than it being filled with some kind of supernatural presence. That what makes something sacred is that it's an inexhaustible fount of insight and intelligibility that's transformative of, of us. And that's certainly the way many people in the ancient world uh, read Plato. They were deeply affected by him. I would go so far as to say that Platonism or Neoplatonism, as Verslewis and others argue, is sort of the bedrock uh, of, of Western spirituality. And we'll come back to that. Now, Plato was traumatized by the death of Socrates. Um, it was deeply, I think, uh, disturbing to him. Why I think that is because he keeps coming back to it and, uh, and trying to try and understand. He wanted to understand how is it that the city he loved, the city he belonged to, Athens, could have killed this man that he admired and loved so deeply. How is it that his beloved Athens killed his beloved Socrates. Right? So, where, whereas Socrates had this sort of dilemma given to him by the gods, Plato has this dilemma given to him by the death of Socrates. 
Plato wanted to understand how people could be so foolish. And so what he's going to do is he's going to take that two worlds mythology that we talked about, the, the, the lower, less real world. And remember, it's mytho mythological. It's not meant to be literally two worlds. But he's going to take that two worlds mythology and he's going to do something with it very different than what the Hebrews did. Remember, the Hebrews turned it into this is where things are fallen now, but we're moving towards a future. We're progressing towards a future. So they give a historical answer to how we move from the world of illusion to the world of reality. Plato is not going to give a historical answer. He's, he's going to give a scientific answer because Plato is deeply influenced by the natural philosophers that we talked about last time. And what Plato is in fact going to do is he's going to create the first psychological theory in history. With Plato, you can really see the beginning, not just of science, but the beginning of cognitive science. Psychology as a discipline begins in a very important sense. And I don't mean this trivially, like, oh yeah, it started with that. Plato's psychology is still currently relevant right now in important ways, which we'll talk about. So let's get into that, because this is again going to take us into these interconnected issues of meaning, wisdom, self-transcendence, altered states of consciousness, etc. I hope to show you how Plato, in trying to answer the question of how Athens could have killed Socrates, is ultimately influenced not just by Socrates, but also by Pythagoras. We know that Plato spent some time with a Pythagorean community, and he seems to have gone through something, some kind of training in that community. So Plato develops a particular theory about why human beings do foolish things. And there's different aspects of it, but a good way to think about it is uh, by relating it to something that we're all familiar with. This is the experience of inner conflict. Inner conflict is when you have two strong motives that seem to be working against each other. And you can see how this is immediately going to be relevant to existential meaning, to meaning in life, because very often we feel most distraught, most anxious, or the most sense of being stuck when we have such inner conflict, when we're divided against ourselves in an important way. So here's a classic example, right? So I like chocolate. I more than like chocolate. Chocolate has a, a kind of uh, deep attraction for me. Um, so well, recently I lost about 20 pounds, right? So I went on a diet. Um, now, dieting is one of the most unsuccessful things that human beings can do. Uh, the recidivism rate is 95%. Recidivism means that within a year, 95% of people who are on a diet are back to their pre-diet weight. So the diet industry has a 5% success rate, even though it makes billions of dollars. I mean, I wish I had that success rate for my job. I wish I only had to succeed at 5% and I was given millions of dollars for that kind of work. Because, and you have to ask yourself, well, why does that work? Well, it works because of the problem. It's such a pressing problem that people will grasp and pay money in anything in the hopes that it might work. Because what's the problem? Well, the problem is, right, it goes like this. And we'll talk about the cognitive science about this. I know I should lose weight. 
I, I, there's the evidence. It's clear, makes rational sense to me. I should lose weight. Yes, yes, okay, I should lose weight. And then I go home, and there sitting on the counter is some chocolate cake, right? And, 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 and that doesn't quite capture, right? It's not just sitting there. It's like, it's like, it's like humming with its chocolatey goodness, right? And it's drawing me in. It's like sort of, and so you have to, you end up sort of often just eating the chocolate cake. Or another example you might be familiar with, procrastination. I know my students face this, right? Yes, yes, I have an essay due in two weeks. Two weeks, there it is. I should work on my essay tonight, because if I start now, I won't be rushed. I know if I'm not rushed, I'll do a great job. I'll have more time to research. I'll be able to change my mind. I should start working on my essay tonight. Somebody calls up, want to go out for some drinks? Yeah, and you're gone, and you procrastinate. So we are clearly beset by this inner conflict. And Plato, Plato gets this great insight. He gets the insight that there seems to be a deep connection between inner conflict and self-deception, self-destructive self-deception. So Plato posits an idea that has become, again, so natural to us that we just think, oh, yeah, of course. But again, he comes up with it. Plato comes up with the idea that we have different centers in the psyche, right? And each center has a different cognitive relationship to the world and motivates us in different ways. And he represented this mythologically, right? He said, there's like a part of us that's like a man. I want to say something here right now, because although Athenian democracy is horribly sexist and treats women horribly, and so remember that context, because what's intriguing is how much Plato was able to rise above that. Plato argues that women should rule as well as men, that women should be in the army as well as men. Now, he doesn't perfectly free himself, of course, from sexism, but given the context, I think it's very admirable the degree to which he was able to do it. Nevertheless, he does use this idea of a man that's in your head and represents reason and that man is motivated by the true, by truth, what's true. So he cares about truth and falsity. That's what it cares about, right? And, right, scope, right? It can go into very long-term goals. And it can deal with very abstract entities, like your health or a essay, Right? Very abstract entities. So this is, you know, health. And I should lose weight. It's going to take me several months. And I should do that because it's true that if I lose weight, my health will improve. So why don't I just do it? Well, because opposed to it, there's a monster. Right? And it's sort of in my stomach and genitals, right? And it represents appetite.
Now, it does not work in terms of truth and falsity. It works in terms of pleasure and pain. Very different set of norms. Now, there's nothing wrong with operating in terms of pleasure and pain. If you don't have a capacity to work in terms of pleasure and pain, you're dead. So Plato doesn't think the appetites are evil. What he wants you to grasp is that they operate according to different principles than the man. Okay, so they presume long-term goals? No, immediate. When do you want the cake? I want it now. Now. I'm going to the party now. Right? <coughs> works in very, it, does, it works in terms of very superficial properties. All I care about the cake is how it looks. It looks yummy. I don't have some in-depth analysis, right? It's just, ah, chocolatey, sweet, yum. So very superficial. Again, that's not necessarily bad. Often, in life and death situations, a superficial appraisal is exactly what you need. I don't need to know a great deal about the inner workings of the tiger. I just need to know, oh, crap, deadly, get out of here. Now notice how these are opposite to each other. Now, I put a space between here, obviously because I'm setting you up for a third thing that Plato talks about. But before I do, I want you to notice what Plato's doing with Socrates here. So Socrates didn't really have a theory, he had a practice. Socrates' practice, if you remember last time, was to get people to realize how often what they find salient is rushing ahead of what they find truthful. Do you remember that? What Plato is saying is, that's not a coincidence. The reason why that happens is because we have different parts of the psyche that work this way. This makes things salient to you, really catchy, motivates you urgently right now. This is the part that you use to understand. And see, here's what most of us face. This Monster is constantly racing ahead of what we understand. Do you see? What Plato is doing is he's explaining why we are so prone to bullshit. Why salience often exceeds understanding. We are perpetually vulnerable. Now, we'll talk about why we have this. Now, let's go back to the dieting as an example. What, what helps, though? There's certain strategies you can use, of course, to improve, right, how you frame things, and we'll talk about that later. But typically, what's one of the things that improves people's chances of losing weight? They join a group, like Weight Watchers, right? Or they join a study group to avoid the procrastination. Why? Well, here's an important thing. You're not just a biological creature. As I've been arguing throughout, you're also cultural. You have evolved across, you're the result of evolution that has crossed several species in which you come wired to learn about abstract symbol systems, use technologies, both physical and psychotechnologies. So you have a lot of powerful cultural, cultural sociocultural motivations. So he compared this to a lion. Because lions are social animals. They're quite sort of, and lions have been associated with sort of 
honor. Because that's, right? That's what this works in terms of. It works in terms of honor and shame. Right? Honor is to be respected by those you consider your peers. To be shame is when you feel that you have failed to be gained respect from your peers. We should not confuse shame and guilt. They are not synonyms. Right? Guilt is when you feel that you have failed to meet your own ideal of who you should be. Shame is when you have lost the capacity to get respect from your peers. Now, what's interesting is that, and this is Plato's point, this part of us can pursue sort of intermediate scope. Because we're cooperating with other people, it doesn't operate just short term, but it doesn't quite operate abstract theoretical. It, op- it, it works within the sociocultural domain. So it can pursue sort of midterm goals. Not just immediate goals, but not sort of abstract symbolic goals, but socially agreed upon shared goals. And it works on sort of the cultural aspects of things, not their abstract meaning or their superficial meaning, but their cultural. The shared meaning, the way we can share it with other people. Notice how much you want to share with other people your experience. So I, I see, I, I've been saying this for years, and I still see people doing it, even people that I've taught it to. People will reliably do this. They'll be eating something. They'll trying it for the first time, and they'll go, oh, this tastes horrible. Have some. They'll give it to somebody else. Because you want to have that, in addition to whatever immediate response you're having, you want there to be a shared cultural meaning to what's happening in your experience. And there's good reason for that, because as I've been arguing throughout, your connection to distributed cognition is one of the most powerful ways you increase your cognitive power over the world. Now, he... Yo, 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 we're back. We're back. I want to give them the big screen so they can see my lovely face. Yeah, let's move on. I don't have any smudges. There we go. Hey. No, no, you look all right. (laughs) No smudges. Yeah. So what did we learn? What have we learned so far? Well, that... uh, Caught up on meaning, wisdom, transcendence, ultra states of consciousness, these different ways that humans have expanded our ability to interact with the world and communicate with one another. We get up to the inner conflict of the existential crises that humanity is in that Plato begins to recognize as we have these competing, what do you, what would you call it? These competing forms of attention, awareness, what what becomes salient to us in a moment can capture our attention in such a way that uh, well, I, 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 you know, uh, parts of the mind that ha- are being archetypically identified, like so he has up on the wall like the man, mm-hmm. the monster, mm-hmm. and the lion. Yeah, Plato breaks it down. Okay, we have these different forms yeah. of awareness or aspects of our being. 
of our consciousness. So before we go to, on too far, like one, um, I wanted to bring up the. So Socrates had this, you know, juxtaposition of holding two almost counter things. Like you know, I'm according to the gods the wisest, but well, I'm really not. Right. And now Plato is like, well, I love my city Athens, but it also killed. Something else I very much loved. Yeah. And so that's his position he has to be in. So, you know, what, what, how can, how can one individual hold these two counter things and what, you know, like, why do we? And yeah, and still be honorable, honor Socrates and honor the world and those he's going to be interacting with. Breaking down the mind into three basic archetypes, as I think. Mm -hmm. You know the route that yeah the man used. the monster and the lion and the lion which is the tamed thing in the middle and I mentioned while this was happening to you off camera it's both um, what did you say honor and shame honor and shame yes. um, and you know the Freudian ego yeah there's good and bad is that, to all of these drives you know, yeah that sits in between you know like you could think of you know the, the well you mean the monster now no I'm talking about the, 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 the lion the, the man no the lion, the lion. that's in between. Because it, the line is subject to the monster, which is, you know, I guess in Freudian terms would be the id, the thing that is concerned about the things that are mm-hmm. now, the things, you know, the chocolate cake, yeah. the woman, the What's man, super the experience. Salient, the tiger that and, I got to avoid. And this is where it gets a little funny because, like, at least the way I've interpreted Freud's superego is not necessarily the, you know, the man that wants to make order of things, but it kind of is because the superego is the society that makes order of things. And then the ego is subservient to that and picking its way through that. Right, or at right, least right. that's what I got uh, from my little bit of time studying psychology and something like college. <laughs> yeah. right. But um, yeah. So the way I'm breaking down the way you put this is, We'll get into Freud and Jung too later. Yeah, in the yeah, and it gets a little fuzzy. Everybody throughout time reiterates things and the understanding, so things get fuzzy naturally. Mm-hmm. But, but what he's um, showing us is that humanity is now reaching this point where it starts to think platonically yeah. about life. Like we actually, you can ask somebody, so what are you doing with with yourself? Where are you going, going in life? What's your plan? And because that's a valid question to to humans nowadays, that was not a normal thing. That was not a normal way to think of self-development over a long-term period of time. Well, that's something that we've developed. And this is a really... Since the time of Plato. Like, I guess in Plato's age, really new psycho, psychotechnology is being able to um, partition aspects of the mind so you can look at them and mm-hmm. look at how they work scientifically. Because, like, you know like going from one mind to two minds is a a jump, but then you add the third mind in there and you know, third is a sacred number for a lot of reasons, but three is when you can verify something. So like we're going to get, I'm going to get into a little bit of, um, you know, general relativity, but you know, imagine like two people going through space. One has a red light on their chest. One has a yellow or a green light on their chest red light sees green light coming at them green light sees red light coming at them you can't tell who's moving until you have a third Hmm. and so then you can take that further into like plotting orbits of celestial bodies and we can calculate without a shadow of a doubt two bodies and how they're going to interact with each other in every way that they can move but once you add the third in that's the little bit of Hmm. chaos that makes it 
impossible to completely predict. So it's like we've gone from like evolutionarily speaking, you know, thinking of ourselves as one thing and us relating to others as being the other thing. Mm. And then eventually it gets up to the point, you know, where you get the natural philosophers into Socrates and ultimately into Plato, where you can start to fracture your own understanding and mind down into multiple pieces. So you have the man that is thinking about the future Mm -hmm. and what you need then the planning, the, the knowing to can your, tomatoes instead of just eating them off the vine the monster just wants to eat it all and the lion in between is the one that's like listening to the society listening to the man listening to the monster and mm-hmm. using shame mm-hmm. versus vert nah, what would what would be the opposite of shame you know people celebrating you know, celebrate you know, honor versus mm-hmm. shame um which that that adds a really human component which is respect and people listening to you yeah, because you know I don't really think any other animals really like care that you know the, you know like say like the wolf you know the wolf doesn't really care the other ones aren't necessarily yeah. listening to him he just cares like I want you to do this and you need to do this if they're I think the, among some of the more intelligent mammals they recognize like honorable leadership like that sure. the sapiens yeah seem like definitely to. like yeah you know you can see that in chimp culture and bonobo yeah. culture as well and how they set up Dolphins, their hierarchies. Probably. Probably. Elephants. They probably. just don't have thumbs and arms, so communication's mm-hmm. a little weird. And there's probably many yeah. people before, for, for certain, for certain, there's many people before Plato that mm, was realizing yes. the ways that humans operate and how you can gain control and mastery and awareness of that part of yourself that recognizes super salient things in the environment connected to our sense of survival, but not let them entirely rule us throughout our lives when we're trying to be able to make long-term plans and become more honorable. Because honor, we find, is the best way to interact with our fellows. It make, It's the most conducive to peaceful and long-term and sure, maxing out creative... Honor is better than currency. Yeah, projects. And, yeah. It's right. how you pull people together. It's how you lead. It's how you share and understand one another with trust. And so, yeah, that's that's a powerful thing to be able to develop. So we yeah so we got the super salience of the chocolate cake. Mm. We got into the idea of procrastination. We're beset by inner conflict, and so Plato sees this inner conflict as self-destructive and self-deceptive. And we recognized how Plato rose above the sexism of his time. He saw mm. past that. It was not a perfect person by no, our lens. We were already starting to develop better, better we ways were. of being, but we weren't all the way there yet. Yeah. We're still to this day are of course all the way there. Well, sure, I'm sure in a thousand years they're gonna look back at us and just be like, what but were you thinking? We are already <laughs> here. And we are already these creatures that are best developed by becoming more honorable mm-hmm. in life. Well so that's really interesting to learn about because that makes sense. I mean that's long term survival, that's evolution working itself out and finding ourselves becoming increasingly increasingly sociable increasingly team oriented like ants well, yeah, we build together well in the team too like you know he mentioned like you know pr- like to prevent procrastinating you can get a study team yeah, or if yeah. you got like so the diet like a diet thing you got like study, weight watchers you or whatever, but you have other people that yes. help help you yes. so going back to older psychotechnologies going back to like a fellowship. distributive cognitive mm-hmm. network that can help support you sure yeah. and also one like one that can chain you when you're like, hey man, like hold you I saw you eating those them ice yeah, creams, right. you know. Like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you're also seeing other people improve themselves. Sure. You want and, them to improve themselves, seeing, and then that you realize, people. wait, I I should care about myself too. I really do want to improve yeah, myself yeah. too. I want them to. I want to be like that. That's I see them improving yeah. and getting healthier, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. So yeah, we are constantly 
distracted by the monster. Sometimes it's for legitimate reasons. There's a tiger. You got to be able to run, mm-hmm. you know. But sometimes it's, you know, just just appetite. Mm-hmm. It's uh, like he said, it's attached to the, to the stomach, to the guts, well, if, to the genitals. Without pleasure and pain, but you starve to death and you wouldn't keeps procreate. you alive. But it works off superficial ideas. It's very abstract. Um, oh no, it's not the abstract one. I'm sorry. That's the. That's the. Okay, no, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, abstract, simple system. Okay, so tiger, oh crap, yeah, that's an abstract yeah, yeah, you've system. Yeah, yeah, you see it. of the to... monster now. So we get into this idea of salience versus truth, what is actual, yeah. and being able to determine that and understanding why are we susceptible to BS is was what of was Plato's main concern in trying to understand this inner conflict that we yeah, experience that's, as that's humans. That's the big why. Why are we yeah. susceptible to that 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 well, the non-care, not caring of the truth. Mm-hmm. So we've developed social yeah. and cultural motivations, traditions to try. And I mean, we even still do it in our, in our movies to this day. We love the honorable hero character for a reason. We just automatically know that's long-term survival yeah. orientation right there. That guy's demonstrating or that guy, that person is demonstrating it very well. And we don't. That's something I would like to emulate like that, or be around. We don't like them when they're too perfect with. either. We, 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 under, like we like to understand when, that they are flawed and that yeah. they've overcome their flaws. Well, That's the part ha- of the story. Because yeah. well, we aim, ultimately we aim to put ourselves in that character's shoe. Mm. You know, like that's what you do yeah. when you watch a movie. Yeah, sure. Like that's why the characters like resonate with you because it's, it's like I could be that. Now, if the character's too perfect, then you're just like, well, I, I can't be that. I but can't be can, perfect. We, we can relate to. I any can be Batman. I can't be Superman actor because you know if they're a good actor, because it's it's true. Like we're all human, so yeah. we can feel each other. We can understand through each other. So yeah, the idea of the lion, honor and shame, guilt, yeah. failure to meet our own ideals, and shame is the losing the respect of peers, and we can see how even Socrates was shamed. For doing the right thing, and I'm sure we've ha- we have some viewers here that have so have been the shame shamed can work all to around right yeah. too. So yeah, but especially in times like these, we see a lot of that shame going. Well, around. sometimes maybe yeah. shame is the monster that or the the dragon one must overcome as well too. Like when you really know mm-hmm. you're on the right path, mm-hmm. some of the biggest dragons are the ones that you've kept next to you your entire right. life that decide not to agree with you and even beyond that to shame you and then maybe even try to destroy you in the case of Socrates. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's, uh, I guess that's a, yeah, double, happened that's to a, Jesus. That's you a, know? yeah. Oh yeah, man. They made him carry his own cross and everybody threw all sorts of stuff mm. at him while he was carrying it. What uh, a story, man. Yeah. What an experience that must've been. Yeah. Humans. That guy had to exist for those ideas. I mean, who would have thought of them, but somebody on another level, and that story yep. about how he was crucified, they did crucify people like that Oh yeah, back in the day. And if oh, someone yeah. really riled them up enough, they'd go all out like they did. Well, uh, when when Jesus was crucified, he had an uh, unrepentant sinner that didn't care on one side, and he had somebody on the other that realized their shame and kind of understood. Yeah, um, that's the, the thing is the three crosses. It's not yeah. just Jesus up there, but it's the unrepentant, it's and, and then it's yeah. one who wants to move past this even yeah. in their last breath and yeah. this her- horrible circumstance. And then yeah. you have the perfect Jesus being, being the ultimate the archetype of the hero. Yeah, yeah, 
in that day and age with that understanding mm-hmm. of how the world worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Probably a good point. Bring a tear to my eye, man. <laughs> We'll have to do this sometime to um, watch and, and comment as we go a little bit on some parts. Yeah, maybe when we do like a rewatch series or we do a highlight series or something like that. Maybe take some time to, to use this channel cut good some. bits out of uh, some of these videos and string them together and talk about specific ones specifically. Yeah, there's a lot of specific parts. There's He's so much. A lot of yeah. information at us. It's it's. I encourage you to go home, talk with your friends about this, do the same exact thing. Yeah, watch the series. Yeah. You know, go into your little options right here. Let me show you. Oh, bringing them in the private private cam area? Nah, just right here, oh. though. We go into your settings. Boom, you can speed it up. 1.25, 1.5. Verveke is comfortable in this range, and you'll still be able to get most of it. And since we're talking through it, we'll be helping add a little bit, too, as much as we can. And hopefully we, you know, we do grow in our understanding here together. Yeah, so let's get back into it. Back into John Verveke's Awakening from the Meaning Crisis, Part 5. This guy's so great. There, he sort of represents this as being like in the chest. And this has to do, because we, we feel a lot of our social emotions and motivation in the chest. You know, your, your pride and honor and, you know, you know, shame, right? Things like that. Now, this is problematic for us. What should go there? Because the Greek word doesn't have a direct English equivalent. Sometimes people put emotion there. That's not quite right. Sometimes people put the word spirit there. That's closer, but the problem with spirit is it has all kinds of spooky associations with it. Right? I'm not going to translate it. I'm just going to leave it as is. This is your thymos. This is the part of you that is motivated socially. So, here's an interesting idea Plato has. Right? They, there is a lot of potential conflict in this system. There's a lot of potential conflict in this system. What you want to do is get it properly ordered. Now, when you don't order it, Think about what this means. Salience and understanding and participation get out of sync with each other, and then we're subject to bullshitting. We're subject to self-deception. The more inner conflict we have, the more likely we are to engage in self-deception, because these two are out of sync, and the more likely we will become very egocentric. So when people are suffering, especially inner conflict, anxiety, they tend to become more self-centered, even selfish. Because when you're experiencing inner conflict, you're getting sort of a threat signal. Things aren't right. And when people are under threat, they tend to become very egocentric. Again, that's adaptive. Now, we're going to come back to this. But we want to do a little bit of cognitive science. Why do, like, why do we, like, what, why? Okay, it makes sense that right, we have this as a motivation because we're social creatures, right? One of our greatest adaptation is our ability to cooperate together. 
So, you know, you throw me into the African savanna on my own and pfft, I'm dead soon because, like, I don't have great claws. I don't have great teeth. I'm, look, what a silly structure, right? I'm teetering around on two feet, almost always losing my balance. I can't run quickly. Everybody can see me from a long distance because I'm towering above the grass. My throat and my vital organs are nicely exposed for any predator. This is bad. Okay. But you know what I can do? I can get together with a bunch of other human beings and we can get some pointy sticks and some dogs and then we can kill everything on the planet. Our ability to work together has always been adaptive. So we know why this is here. Why is, but why does this have so much more power than this? Well, there's, there's, a, there's an actually an important reason. And this has to do with some work started by Ainsley and others on what's called hyperbolic discounting or temporal discounting. And what Ainsley and other people found is this pattern of behavior is, exists across species. It's not just something that human beings engage in. You can find it across species. It's even more universal than something like flow. It's not just universal amongst human beings. It's universal across many species. So this is a deeply adaptive mechanism. What does this mechanism look like? Okay, so this is called discounting. And this is a little bit confusing. Discounting is how much you are reducing the salience of a stimulus. The more you discount, the less salient something is, the less it stands out for you, the less it grabs your attention. This axis is time in a tense sense. This is the present and this is the future. So what I'm showing you is what's happening to discounting, which means how much a stimulus is losing its salience. And this is what it looks like. This is what the curve looks like. Okay? So a present stimulus has a large degree of salience to it. Remember the monster? Something that's in the future, especially as it gets into the far future, much less salience to it. That's why the monster can override the man. But why? Why do, we, like, why do we have this? Well, this is actually very, very adaptive. That's why it's a universal phenomenon. How is it adaptive? So I want you to think about doing your, your, you're about to do something here. I don't smoke. I do diet, but I don't smoke. Uh, but let's su suppose I was doing this. Here's right now, and I decide to smoke a cigarette, right? And that could have one of two options, right? You know, I get a cough here, or I don't get a cough there, or something like that, right? Now, notice, and I'm doing this very simplistically. I'm not saying that whenever you do something, there's only two effects from it. I'm just doing it simplistic, in a very simple manner, so you can understand the point, Okay. Now, the probability of now happening is 100% because it's happening. The probability of each one of these happening is 50%. Now, when I, if, I were, if it goes this way, then there's two more effects. The probability of each one of these is 25, right? And so on. So do you see what's happening? As you move into the future, the probability of any one of these events occurring is going down very fast. Now, here's the thing. This is, this is actually adaptive. You should pay less attention to things that are less probable than happening. 
That actually makes good sense. The less probable something, an event is, the less attention you should give it. Imagine if you didn't have this. Imagine if you didn't screen off things that were low in probability. Think about how you would be overwhelmed by all the possibilities. So if I get out of bed, I might twist my ankle slightly. And that might slow me down getting to class. And if I slow down getting to class, that might have an impact on my mark. And that might cause me to fail my course. And then if I fail my course, that might disrupt my de degree. And that might cause me to fail in my career. And, and then I'm going to end up in Buffalo alone, married to a lamp or something. Now, that's ridiculous, right? Now, it's possible. It's not impossible, except the last part. You can't really get married to a lamp. But, right? In fact, here's a hypothesis I have. Now, notice the word I used, please. I think one of the things that goes wrong in people who experience generalized anxiety disorder is that this is not working well enough. It's not screening off and making low salient, low probability events. So highly anxious people find things salient that they shouldn't. They find low probability things too salient. So this is really adaptive. This is why you have it. But there's a problem with it. And this is a problem with any adaptive machine. And you're going to see later why this is the case. Okay, let's go back to the cigarette smoker. I smoke, and through a long chain, this is me dying in Hamilton. Right? This is the event of me dying in Hamilton, lung cancer in my left lung. I'm not going to write these all out. This is me dying in Hamilton of cancer in my right lung. This is me dying in Toronto, cancer left, right. This is me dying in Burlington because of, so on. There's all these different deaths. Now, here's the thing. Each one of those deaths has a low probability of occurring, right? You see that? Each one of those deaths has a low probability of occurring. But here's the thing about me, and I bet you I share it with you. I don't want to just avoid death in Hamilton, although that would, although that would be a particularly bad death. I don't want to avoid just dying in Hamilton. I'm from Hamilton, so I'm allowed to do that. I want to avoid death. I want to avoid all these deaths. Now, think carefully. And I'm using this very technically, but I'm speaking accurately. I want to avoid death in the abstract. I don't want to avoid this death, or this death, or this death, or this death. I want to avoid all possible deaths. I want to avoid death in the abstract. Now, here's the thing. The chance of each one of these deaths is very low. But if you pool them together, the chance that cigarette smoking will lead to a premature death is very, very high. Okay, so what does that mean for me? The hyperbolic discounting blinds me to this because it's not very probable. Blinds me to this because it's not very probable. Blinds me to each one of these because each individually they're not very probable. But in blinding me to each, you know what it blinds me to? What they share in common. It blinds me to what they all have in common. And what they all have in common is a premature death. By blinding me to what they have in common, what they abstractly share, this adaptive machine actually has me take another puff on the cigarette and sets me on the course towards cancer or emphysema. Do you see? 
Now, please remember this. This is going to be a theme we're going to be coming back to again and again and again. I mentioned it before when I talked about flow. The very machinery that makes you adaptive is the machinery that makes you prey to self-deceptive, self-destructive behavior. All right, we're back, we're back. Damn, damn, damn for all the cigarette smokers feeling guilty over here. Whew, but not yeah, really. yeah, I mean, this hits. This hits personally. It's probably hitting every single person watching. If you've gotten to this point with us, now you see why he's breaking this down the way he is. Wow, are we good at fooling ourselves individually and as societies. You can see why civilization's falling apart because we've all tuned off. We're just like, yeah, I don't want to involve myself in the functioning of this anymore. It's too out of control. It's too crazy a fray in there. I don't want to get in the middle of it. Yet, it's something that we should be super salient to right now as civilization does seem to be disintegrating all around the world into who knows where it's going to go unless we take control. Well, the mechanism that, uh, and I don't, so what, what Vivek is talking about here, I don't think these are psychotechnologies. I think they are the baser. Yeah. Right now we're know, talking like about a million instinct that allows you to prioritize how where we prioritize going, our yeah. awareness, our perception. So this is deeper mm-hmm. than what we've created for ourselves. This is, you know, like the core hardware Yes. Or the that we've developed OS. social yeah. systems and psychotechnologies well, to help deal around with. dealing with. Yes. Yeah, because like you know what he's saying here with that, we'll call it the the why is the man mode less effective or uh, less powerful than the monster mode is. Yeah, the monster is stronger. He says the man mode allows us to differentiate between like you know okay, well the possibility long term goals the possibility of me going up in an airplane and then dying on that airplane Reason. is very is very low so i'm not going to get with, super crazy yes. anxious about this yes it works with just, truth and falsehood yeah. in, in that in those terms of likelihood but it, it thinks long term goals health so abs- many and that's this is the one that's a, uh, most capable of abstract abstraction yeah yes so but like so like as you get further away in the future from the time that is now mm-hmm. the percentage of any one thing goes down dramatically yes Yes, and, any one thing. And but, it's, so it's less salient, less and less salient to us. But what we should be concerned with is the overall abstract concept of the thing of, say, say death yeah, in the case of smoking yeah. cigarettes. Or, well, hey, you know, the case of not wearing ear protection right. and then you go deaf. Right. Uh, or letting the, the Amazon get totally bulldozed and burned down. There's a, there's a lot of avenues for it, but it's, you know, it's, it's, and, like none of y'all really know me, but like, if you know me, I've talked a lot about survival mechanisms and tools running us and us not running them. This is one of them mm. tools that we've used to survive. Yeah, sure. Is, is the ability to be like, well, that the probability of that happening is a much, so I'm not going to worry about it. And then if that part of us doesn't work, then we get really anxious about things we shouldn't get anxious about. You know, we get various you know, anxiety disorders, derangement syndromes, or this, that, or the other. But then if you don't, you know, I guess on the other end, if you don't pay attention or if your brain doesn't really work on the other end where it doesn't see the grand scheme at all, then you're like, well, you know, (laughs) what is death? I'm, you know, I'm going to go bungee jumping all the time and do a bunch of stupid stuff as well. And the monster takes over. You need a healthy balance, don't you? Yeah, it's a... Stay on the edge of exploration, but to do so responsibly and yep. 
So yeah, our... so that that's the tricky balance that we must find. So the lion's in the chest, right? Yeah, the lion is in the chest. The monster is in your groin, in your belly, mm-hmm. and, uh, the and the man is the idea up in the, head. the abstract, like long-term thinking part of ourselves, the planning part, the future planner, if yeah. you will. Um, and it, we need, you know, that functional awareness that we can actually take part in rather than yeah. just be in. Um, yeah. So yeah, so salience and perception lined up is what we want. Yeah. And you know how like because threat puts us into the egocentric perspective, which as, is for survival. As it is that should. A, it's adaptive as it should, and but, our ability to get together has always been adaptive. And Plato was wrestling with why is the monster stronger than man, and so Verbeke's now breaking down in modern terms how Plato basically broke it down, and he, you know, he puts up this graph mm-hmm. and he shows us yeah the the, um, the hyperbolic the amount of discounting salience discounting salience, yes so we have the so we have this capacity to discount yeah to turn that, ourselves off from and that's what the turn turn down the salience or the awareness yeah in our consciousness of this or that thing so that we can actually know what to do because we would otherwise be constantly taking in all the information all the p- potential considerations and be if anything then the monsters run amok yeah really um because well, yeah. it's like well that thing that may be a potential well then we the wouldn't be surviving eats at it, eats at it, eats at yeah. it you know it's almost like yeah so we, our ability to get together is this thing that evolved and now it's gotten to the point of music and poetry right i think i figured it out so the monster is the thing that is creates super salience within what we need now and what we really you know that end but this is why we, we've needed moral systems but isn't it? we have to control it if you will mm-hmm. the, the man on the board forgive me for using language but that's the language we're using so the man on his board is something that has to remove salience so you can get through life without going yeah. crazy but we needs to take the next you know next step to see the salience within the overarching groups of percentages opposed to just one it's got to be so able it's to almost see the like you know the, bigger picture of how things can pan the, out the monster yeah. is super salient and we need a less salient of it and then the man aspect of it is like not a salient because it's thinking about stuff in the future that we actually like really need to start planning ahead so this like, is why mindfulness practices like meditation yeah, yeah, actually yeah, help yeah. us to well, become more sa- centered in our awareness power so we can the, notice things yeah. as they become salient a loud noise yeah. happens while you're meditating you notice that your mind becomes aware of it and you return back because you know it's not dangerous so you, in that way you're gaining capacity and control mm-hmm. over how well you can interact with the environment yeah. and that's yeah so this is this has gotten us to where we are so we learn to avoid death in the abstract. Yeah, That's and, crazy. and, and so I, I want to clear up that word abstract too because there's two ways to think. Ab- there's two ways to think about it, and I know some people are going to think it like abstract doesn't mean confusing. Abstract means like in this sense, the combination of all possibilities happening or not, regardless of the potential of them happening, but what they lead up to if you combine all of them. The abstract, not like mm-hmm. abstract mm-hmm. painting that's all weird and whatever, but abstract in the sense of. But all, that, that, that is what it. an abstract painting is. It's yeah. all the different. Well, our brains have a hard time of it's a bunch wrapping of around that. So making it seems bigger, like yeah. chaos, but abstract yeah. in the sense of like, what's your abstract when you're sure. writing a you, sure. when you're writing a paper? Mm-hmm. The, the brief cons- consolidation of a bunch of different yes. stuff. You know, yeah. that kind of abstract yeah. opposed to confusing abstract. Yeah. No, we, yeah, confusing, we abstract but, everything. Yeah, you know, with yeah, our minds. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we abstract each other and we develop images of one another and 
what at the end it is. Jay Krishnamurti talked about this. Mm-hmm. What would it be like to live without an ounce of comparison? To yeah. live life without an ounce of comparison? To not compare yourself with others at all? Or one thing from another thing. What a crazy either. idea that he was he was someone that was capable of that. Or at least capable of trying. No. <laughs> For the most part, it seemed that he was yeah. in that state of mind. Um well, it's, hell, hell, just, it's pretty readily available. I'm sure he slipped, of course, like all humans do. Well, it, it, I, I, I find if perfect, you, if you can just he, yeah, get he that was there. perfect moment once, mm-hmm. you've done a really great thing. Really, and it, and the thing is, like with Christian Murthy explained this, it actually happens over and over and over again. The moment before you say say like you know if you're the riding in the train story he tells you know if you're riding in the train and you're watching nature and everything go by. When you see all that, the moment before you say, "Oh, that's beautiful." Yes, that's the moment. That's that's, that's the beauty. The moment. Beauty is inexhaustible, but yeah. we contain it as soon as we describe it to ourselves yeah, or yeah, somebody yeah. else. And there's only so well, so much of it you can contain. Yeah. And to be in that moment, what well, automatically that se- separates you of life from as it, it is, with with no attachment to the outcome, but still control over things as they occur, so that one can be in a flow state, yeah. lest processing yeah. about worries and well, reservations that, that's, that's, of outcome and, that's the flow state right there yeah. you know ex- ex- experiencing the beauty and what it is sure. without yeah. creating so a we notice enlightened beings are, are very and much mm-hmm. exhibiting what as artists and athletes and others do when they're in the flow state sure and it's like you can feel it too like yeah. it's not necessarily we've all experienced a, flow a yeah. watching thing like you can see somebody and you can kind of like feel feel you can see it that they're in you yeah. can't describe it in but the there's gra- something in, in it in the grace you know? of their movements the perfect yeah. perfectness of their movements you could say the ease and the fluidity mm-hmm. of it all you you recognize something that is transcendent and that's the human being that just tapping into the flow of existence somehow and becoming one with the whole thing and responding perfectly as though in a dance with that moment so you, and we see this in the gymnast, the ballerina, the basketball player, the jazz musician. It's just, it's such a beautiful moment. And mm-hmm. you experience that if you happen to meet um, like a Buddha at the gas pump, Yeah, you know, to call out another cool podcast out there. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, I think, I think we covered that pretty Let's well. Let's take a little bit of a break. I, I do have to pee. That's, that's a good call. All right, break time, guys. If you've got to use the bathroom, grab yourself a drink, have a... Try not to have a smoke. <laughs> or if you have a smoke, no guilting you. Yeah, like, we're not guilting you. I don't know. If I, die, if, I die from sm- if I die from smoke, smoking cigarettes, use, I'll never guilt the youth for it. examples never. that are all too easy to relate to. Yeah, well, yeah, hit, hit you in the feels, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, effective. grab yourself a snack, do whatever you got to do. We'll be back in five-ish. All right, all right, all right, we're back. Hey. You said there's one thing you wanted to mention yeah, before so we got back into a, it. A good way to break down this hyperbolic loss of uh, salience that we do to keep you know from going crazy, you could imagine it like this. Uh, okay, you can see this. This is one percentage. Uh, this is a percentage of one thing happening. Okay, it's one finger. It ain't, it, you know, whatever. Another thing that could happen. Another thing that could happen, and they're just fingers. And then another thing. Well, the that one could thing happen. is super salient to us. Well, hold on, hold on. And then there's the other. Oh thing. no, no, no! You're right. Yeah, no. And, the first and, is just and, a thing: smoking a cigarette, eating the chocolate cake. Even beyond that, it doesn't matter what any of those are. It could be, you know, dying in whatever place of whatever Anything. condition. And if you hyper focus on it, you're screwed. So you're not hyper focusing on any of your fingers, but you're focusing on the hand. 
the hand. Mm. And in this the case, abstract, yeah. the dying from smoking or the, the whatever. So it's mm-hmm. like one data point or one potentiality, another potentiality, another potentiality. Those really don't have salience, but what should have salience is the whole hand of potentialities. Yeah. So to think of it as your hand, you know, there's future things that can happen, but then there's, they all tie back mm-hmm. into that center. Yes. You know, the, yes. The, the hand is the abstract. So you utilizing methods that allow us to become increasingly aware of the way our mind ticks. Yeah. The things that yeah, become well, salient to us. That's a metaphor. The hand of potentials. Mm-hmm. And we there use that, well, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen, this could yeah, happen, that's right. this could happen. But along this line, that happens. That's it. You know, so. Yeah. So that capacity to abstract that we have, we have the capacity to have, to cultivate ever-increasing levels of aptitude for and in that way, we become more at ease in life because we're well, more watchful. Hopefully, of things. Yeah, <laughs> if we yeah. don't become nihilistic and jaded. Well, that's <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's the trick, uh, and I'm sure there's the trick be... is to face it as a lion. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mentioned with the... our lionheartedness, with well, that honor and bravery that we have, that yeah. heartfulness, or we will be judged as the cowardly lion that's a meek creature just walking his way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or... All right, so we're going to continue on with that. I just had to get that out of my head because using the hand metaphor That's a good for, metaphor. for what he's talking about is, you know, you may not pay attention to each tip of the finger, but it's the hand. It's the hand that yeah. grips. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. And that's that's what we should be allowing ourselves to be super salient of. Let's use some metaphors. Let's use some, uh, you know, some psychotechnologies to, yeah. you know, like really make this last. So, yeah, so that's that. All right, so back into it with John Bervake behavior is the machinery that makes you pray to self-deceptive self-destructive behavior just pulling us back there part of what meaning and wisdom have to do is they have to wrestle with that unavoidable reality the unavoidable reality is you can't you can't throw this away you can't throw away this machinery because if you throw this adaptive machinery away you're doomed you can't get out of bed because you're overwhelmed by crippling anxiety you can't throw it away but you can't just let it run untutored because then you smoke the cigarette, you eat the cake, you go to the party, and you harm yourself in a self-deceptive, self-destructive fashion. So what do you need to do? Here's the monster. What you need, and what we developed, is we developed an ability, especially here, frontal lobe area, to form abstract thought, to abstract what is in common in the distant future and symbolically represent it to ourselves. That's what the man does. The man can grasp the abstract thought of avoiding the premature death. But you say, but but the man is so weak. The man's weak because you don't want him to be able to shut this off. You want him to be able to override it but in a very minimal sense, because that's so adaptive. See, so Plato is deeply right. So, in fact, I think Plato is so deeply right, that's why we keep discovering this division. Freud divides the psyche into these three things, the superego, the ego, the id. You know, there's, there was a, a movement in the, the 90s in neuroscience to talk about, you know, the reptilian brain, the mammal brain, and the neocortex. We keep rediscovering this platonic division. Plato had an interesting idea.
He said, you know what? The man can learn. The man is capable of grasping theory. Abstract, symbolic representation of the case. Now, the lion really isn't capable of theory, but what the lion can be do is the lion can be trained. You can use your reason to train your lion. How do you do this? Well, this is, this is, this is where Socrates is so relevant. Right? And this is, this is why Plato writes dialogues. Because what Socrates did was he took reason into the social arena. Socrates goes into the marketplace and dialogues with people. There's this social interaction is happening. And the social interaction is being wed to rational reflection and to inspiring people to try and overcome self-deception. And so using a Socratic method, the man can train the lion. And then the man and the lion together can tame the monster. Not kill it, but tame it. And what you want is you want that, te that teaching of the man, the training of the lion, and the taming of the monster so that something happens. You reduce as much as possible the inner conflict. So this is like... For Plato, Plato describes wisdom as an internal justice within the psyche in which the man has been taught, the lion has been trained, and the, the monster has been tamed so they can get along together as much as is possible. This, this is what's known as an optimization strategy. Right? If I let the monster rule, everything else shrinks to a minimum. What you want is you want the right coordination of the parts of the psyche so that each can live as much as it possibly can without putting the other two in danger. When you can get that inner harmony, that optimal relation, so each is living as much as it can without putting the other ones in danger, this mutuality of the most existence, this is, for Plato, this is to experience a fullness of being. This is to be as fully alive as you possibly can be. It is also to experience a kind of peace because your inner conflict has dropped. So this is, this is very powerful. One of, one of your meta drives, in addition to all the drives people have, they want to have whatever they're having without inner conflict. They want to be at peace with themselves. Now, this, of course, is a powerful meta drive that you can tap into. Because if you have a strong drive within you to get this inner justice, to realize wisdom, to get this fullness of being, then I can appeal to it. I can appeal to it Socratically. But notice that this has, this has, this has an important component to it. Because as I reduce inner conflict, my self-deception goes down. And as I reduce my inner conflict, I'm less egocentric. Both of these things are making me more in touch with reality. So I'm reducing inner conflict. But the effect that's having is, right, I'm getting a clearer vision 
of reality because my self-deception and egocentrism is going down. Now that matters because, as we've seen before, you want to be in touch with reality. You have a meta-drive. Philosophers have various thought experiments for talking about this. One I'll sometimes do with students is I'll say, imagine the following. Right? You go home one day and your parents say, well, come, come here, I want to show you something. And you say, what? And they take you to this hallway that you've walked down a thousand times before. And they, they press on a part on the wall that for you has never meant anything. And when they press, a, a door opens and there's a room in there. And there's TV screens and there's videotape and there's pictures of you at all stages of your life. And then they say the following to you. Just before you were born, nine months before you were born, we were hired by the government to have you. This is part of an experiment. The government gave us scripts to memorize. And we did this as we right as a part of a government experiment. We don't actually love you or care about you at all. We've just been following the script, doing what we've been doing because the government has hired us to do this. But we're obligated now that you've turned 21 or whatever to tell you the truth. We don't care about you. Now, we still have to keep doing this. When we'll leave the room, we, you can forget all about this if you want. right? And we'll just say that we, what we've always said. We'll tell you how much we love you. We'll make sure that your needs are met. Just know right now that none of that is how we truly feel. Okay? Now ask people, how would you feel? And they'd go, well, I, I'd be devastated. But I, but I say, but nothing's changed. They're going to still say all the same words to you. They're still going to treat you exactly the same way. And what people say is, well, it's no longer real. Here's another thing I'll do with people. I'll say, how many of you are in, are, are in satisfying personal relationships? Quite a few people put up their hands. And then I'll say, how many of you would want to know that your partner was cheating on you, even if that meant the destruction of your relationship? Almost everybody puts their hand up. They're willing to destroy this relationship that's giving them so much happiness because they don't want it to be fake. They want it to be real. And we'll talk a lot, we'll talk later about why this need to be real is so important. But I want you to understand what Plato's talking about here. Notice that two of your most important meta-drives are being met in the Platonic model. You're reducing inner conflict, and you're becoming more in touch with reality. Now that, that feeds on itself in an important way. I get better on picking up on real patterns in the world. My skill at picking up on real patterns is improved because I get a clearer vision, I get better at tracking real patterns, right? But what does that mean? Well, as I start to get more inner peace, I start to be able to pick up on real patterns. I get the skill, the vision ability. But of course, what I can do is I can apply that to myself. Socratic self-knowledge. As I get better at picking up on real patterns, I can apply that to myself. I can get better knowledge of myself. 
as I get better knowledge of myself, I can better teach the man. When you, to be a good teacher, you have to know your student better. As I get better knowledge of myself, I can teach the man. I can better train the lion. I can better tame the monster. So no, notice what's happening here. I improve a little bit my skill at picking up on real patterns. I use that skill on myself to increase my self-knowledge and get better patterns, which means I reduce my inner conflict. As my inner conflict goes down, I get a clearer vision of reality. As I get a clearer vision of reality, I get better at picking up on real patterns, which means I improve my self-knowledge, which means I reduce my inner conflict. And you see what happens? This starts to spin like this. These two sides feed into each other and reinforce each other and improve each other. And this is wonderful for you because you're becoming less interconflicted and you're coming more in contact with reality. Now, Plato has a famous story, a parable. Probably a good time to pause there. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So each time I've seen this, the more it's sinking in, I'm realizing that last part there just really hit the the fact that we have. Yeah. Thank you. The fact that we're able to basically take control of these drives. We better teach the man to be able to better train the lion, not be the lion, but better train the lion to be able to tame the monster. And then you get all of them working together in a chord. Like you said while yeah. we were watching, three notes equal a chord. Yeah, three and notes make the chord. The one, the third, and the fifth in the most basic form. You don't have a chord until you have the third. So in but. doing that, you gain increased capacity for pattern recognition, which you can then you can utilize for the outside environment, but you can also turn it within and you get increased self-knowledge. And with increased self-knowledge, you gain the capacity to better teach the man and better train the lion. So it feeds in on itself. Sure. And wow. I'd venture to that, say. He really sold it to me that time because it's hard to hear this episode. He gets into things that for me, hit personally, yeah. I'm still smoking cigarettes. I picked it back up and I know what I'm doing to myself, you know. And so this episode has been one where I always notice my mind tries to turn itself off a little bit. It's glazing over. It's taking the general idea, but. Boy, did Verbeke go deep in this episode. That He's really starting to detail how we may awaken from the meaning crisis that we are in right so now. So it's, it's almost a manual being set up to teach oneself, to teach others, to teach oneself, to teach others, to teach oneself. So like the trivium, the first stage. Yeah. You know, you first mm-hmm. you learn the, you know, like... Your grammar, logic, what and rhetoric. Stuff, what, you know, in that order, you need to learn yeah, it. How yeah, to, how to use the stuff, how to talk... Or, so what the rhetoric is how to tell others. Yeah, so the, the grammar is works. the parts and the pieces yeah. or like say the alphabet yeah. for the language or the parts and pieces of an engine. The, the, the logic, logic is how is they how fit together to be able to, to make words others. or make the engine run. And then the rhetoric is the actual doing of it. Yeah. And and so the same thing with speech, you know, the rhetoric. That's why we use the word rhetoric for speaking. Wow, man. Okay, so let me get, get into these notes a little bit here. So the man can recognize symbols or it can make large ab- uh, an abstract symbol for something that accommodates for many things like the idea of death for all the different ways that one could mm-hmm. die the ab- abstraction the ability to you want the man to be able to control the monster he must be able to become honorable 
Socrates. Well, so Socrates brought reason into the social arena as well. That was the great breakthrough of the time, and that's what developed the way that we think as humans today, or a majorly influenced, we could say. Using reason, the social, uh, the so Socratic method. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, the Socratic method is, yes, at its base end, is just asking questions to draw out the truth, but it requires, like, more abstractly. It requires. It's the beginning of a scientific groups method. Of groups of people to get together to ask the questions, and like the best Socratic method is when you're social asking arena, each yes. other questions yeah. back and forth and back and forth. But it requires more people, mm -hmm. more you know, less singular. And what's what's interesting between, say, the Socratic method and what Plato's getting to here is, Plato is figuring out how to break. The, the singular mind into three things to do mm -hmm. that within the one mind. He, he's finding a way yeah. to appeal to these drives. Sure. Well, you and, 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 in accord. Yeah. You, and speak to all three of them. Of them yeah. They're not going to work on their own. He's like, okay, how do how do I deal with these people? Let's, yeah. let's start finding ways to become better, better as units, better as individuals. And this pissed a lot of people off. Same with Socrates, which got himself killed over it. Yeah. Well, you know you're doing something right when you're pissing off the right people, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, so 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 Plato recognizes, and John Berbeke points out here, the less self-deceptive self that we are, the less egocentric. And so the ego is very concerned with its idea of survival, the, the idea of its being surviving. Mm. And so as you become less self-deceptive, you start to be able to see the way the mind ticks and... Yeah, that those it, egoic concerns are just appearances in the mind that one can choose whether or not are necessary to follow. And then, well, yeah. when you have to use them, you, clear they, vision. Then you, you have a clear enough vision to see how to use them. Yeah, and right. I, like yeah, the whole idea that you can just completely get rid of your ego, like that, that just seems like this weird fallacy that I don't understand mm. how people can believe. It's like, well, no, it's a very useful tool. And you yeah. shouldn't get rid of your monster. You shouldn't get the, rid of the thing that, no, you're allowed right. separation. You should so be able to tame it. the monster. You should be able to yeah. use it. Sometimes you need it. You need to be out running yeah. a tidal wave or fighting to defend the yeah. cave. Or, yeah, God knows. So he tells uh, a very dystopian story. <laughs> with yeah, that yeah. Oh man, the kid. Yeah, it's idea like experiment of the parents with that alignment. Yeah, we don't care about you. And yeah, it made me think of a horrible dystopian future scenario where that. What, the reason they tell the kid when he's 21 because he's going to end up doing it too. And like nobody's anybody's parents anymore for some reason. Well, they, they give him the option. It's like, look, you can. But that's powerful. We, well, you, you, yeah. you can. We can they continue to do this. Option. We can continue to do this. And we can still go through the I love you and the cookie breakfast and hey, how you doing? And grandkids and all this stuff or not. Like, and that brings up the question of like, would you be willing to do that? Would you want to know that? Yeah. And then would you want to know? Yeah. That? Would you want to know your you spouse know? had cheated on you kind of thing? And of course, we always do want to know because the truth is more important to us. It's how we're tuned and that's tuned because that way, because the truth is what's accurate, what's yeah. accurate and reliable. And truth over what, what is verifiable. Yeah. The love and the pancakes and all yeah. that stuff. Well, is that's very not salient, real anymore. It's not true. It's not real anymore yeah. if you did this. Yeah. So that's wow. Okay. So. Reducing conflict um, allows us to be more in touch with reality, reducing that inner it, it, conflict, yeah, and inner this feeds conflict. on itself. Well, the, the chord it is, expands our self knowledge, is clarifying social it, knowledge, and like and musically. It, you know, I'm glad we got into the music end of this because, mm -hmm. like musically speaking, you can have a very 
clear, crisp, not just chord, but sound. And, you know, every sound is its own chord, but the best sounds that we like are the ones that have the harmonics that sound well Mm -hmm. to us. Um, But, you know, like you can have really like crunchy, dirty chords, you know, you get into like the half diminished chords and stuff like that. And like they start adding stuff on top of other chords and all that nonsense. But then you can have very clear, beautiful chords as well. So it's Mm -hmm. like, the the three parts of our psyche here the 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 man the lion and the monster depending on what what you need to do the chord can be a thick dense monstrous chord with a lot of disharmony and dissonance in it Mm -hmm. or if you're just trying to live life you want the you know the clear chord that allows you to think sure but it's neat how all of these are in conversation too in a song and for a song to work they have to be well you don't just stay at one perfect it it moves around so sometimes the monster does need to come out sometimes the lion needs to keep both in check because it's been trained properly to be like hey um actually over here shut up (laughs) (laughs) well definitely in the flow state while doing jazz improv somebody wants to be able to have complete control they want to be they want to be able to be a monster and be a, a beautiful one that's controlled and slip into the line be the man so we want all of these three to be working in accord yeah. in their proper ways. Accord, accord with in each accord. other. Yeah, a chord. Okay, there we go. Cool. We're getting more weird Language words. is crazy. Oh man. <laughs> so yeah, so increases our skill, our vision, our ability, uh, better self knowledge allows us to better attend to the man. Better, better attend to the man, then you can better train the lion and the better you can train the lion the better you can actually tame the monster and the safer the monster keeps the man and the lion yeah that's so, really cool yeah. man yeah so that's like the beginning of psychology there with plato yeah and it's a, a scientific approach to the nature of reality opposed to what he mentioned with the, the hebrew approach which was more of a historical approach you know you're moving mm-hmm. through time to something else where this is instead of the component of time is what is it not to lessen it to a shape on a page but what is the shape on the page before opposed to the narrative and story mm. of it both are important mm-hmm. yeah that's mm-hmm. why like the best picture books are the best picture books like you know, the same <laughs> what is that the giving tree come on that's like one of the best books on the planet i was so, really into calvin and Hobbes. Man. yeah <laughs> but yeah so boondocks too that was really well like i love those watercolor style mm. illustrations yeah yeah so anyway let's uh let's jump back in here i think we covered everything there and we'll probably be able to finish out this last bit here a myth in the sense that i'm talking about in this in this series it's called the parable or the myth of the cave and it's a way of talking about this, the relationship between these things. Notice two things here. You need to remember this. Notice how much self-transformation and getting more in contact with the world are interconnected. This is participatory knowing. I'm not over here as an impartial, impassive Sorry, impartial passive observer, just forming true beliefs about this. I have to change myself in order to see the world. And then the world changes, and then that puts a demand on me to change myself. And as I change myself, the world discloses itself in a new way, and so on and so forth. 
This is participatory knowing. I'm not just changing my mind. This is not just knowing with my mind. This is knowing with the very machinery of myself. Now, what's Plato's myth? So here's the surface, right? There's pathway going down, right? That leads into this inner cavern, right? There's a fire here, right? There's people chained into chairs. So all they can do is look at the back of the cave. Then there's other people walking in front of the fire, and it's casting shadows onto the cave because of the firelight, and they're hearing the echoes. And what Plato says is, people take the shadows and the echoes to be the real things because they're chained, they're caught up. But what happens is an individual gets free. And what does that individual do? That individual turns and sees the fire. And that allows them to realize that the shadows and the echoes aren't the real things. They're shadows and echoes. And what happens is the person's ability to notice the real patterns as opposed to the merely correlational patterns is changed. Remember we talked about that? People start to see, they start to realize, oh, these are what real patterns feel like as opposed to what I thought was real. You get the taste for reality developing. And that taste means they start to look around and explore. And then they realize there's a path. There's light coming through it. And then they start a journey upward. Now, notice how this journey works. When they take a step forward, they're blinded by the light. And they have to wait. They have to wait for their eyes to adjust. The self has to be transformed. And then once the eyes have adjusted, they can see how to go. And then they take another step. And then they're blinded again. And there's this slow process, and Plato keeps talking about at various stages they have to stop because they're blinded, and then they adjust, and then they gain the ability to see where they couldn't see before. It's this participatory transformation I talked about. And eventually they come up here, and they look around, right? And what, what are they looking for? They want to see the source of the real light, the light that's making them, allowing them to pick up on the real patterns. Where is this light that shows the reality of things coming from? And not only is it showing the reality of things, this light is the source of the life of things. Where is this source of understanding and light? And if they look around, and of course, they glimpse, because they can't stare at it directly, the sun. And it's overwhelming. It's beyond their comprehension. But they see it, and, and it, it fills them with a kind of awe. And of course, what they do is they go back down into the tunnel rapidly, right? And they get here, and they try to tell their fellow prisoners what they saw. But of course, they're stumbling around because their eyes don't work anymore in that darkness. And they're saying things that don't make absolutely no sense to these people. And so they ridicule them. And if they could, they would kill that individual. And of course, this is an allusion to Socrates. Now, first of all, notice 
that contrary to what people think, enlightenment is not just an Eastern idea. This is a myth of enlightenment, of coming into the light. It's a myth of self-transcendence and self-transformation. It's a myth of coming, and I mean myth in the sense that we've been talking about. It's a parable of coming into greater and greater contact with reality. You see, notice the story is, right, you pick up on real patterns, that challenges you, it sort of blinds you, and then you transform to pick them up, and then you're enabled to move forward, then you confront those real patterns again, and you're doing that cycle that I talked about. There's a Greek word for this, ascent, called anagoge, anagogy. This is the anagogic, or the anagogical aspect of Plato's idea. Notice what he's doing. He's taking the, you know, the movement between the illusory world and the real world, and he's turning it into this account of how you can make your lives rationally more meaningful. You can become more fully alive and more at peace in conjunction, in concert with, you coming more and more in contact with the real patterns that make sense of reality. You can satisfy in a mutually supporting fashion your desire, your meta drive for inner peace and your meta drive to be in contact with reality. This is what Plato calls wisdom, a fullness of being. We become more and more real ourself, ourselves as we become more and more at peace so that we can more and more realize the real patterns. We conform ourselves more and more to reality. And you may say, this is kind of a crazy story. Is it? Is it? Because here's a story from 1999. There's all these people, and they're trapped in a world of shadows and unreality. It's called the Matrix. And they need to wake up and be welcomed to the real world. And the character that's in there is Neo, from Neoplatonism, the new man. People flock to that movie, and all it is is this, with some great martial arts and some interesting science fiction special effects. This parable, this is what I mean about a myth. This isn't a story from the past, right? The reason why you go to the Matrix and people still watch it and talk about it is because it's a myth. It sings to you. It speaks to you now because it talks about perennial problems that you face, problems of the psyche being in conflict with each other, the problem of being caught up in illusion, out of touch with reality, and it presents the possibility of liberation and self-transcendence and a fullness an enhanced meaning in life. It's a myth of wisdom that is perennially relevant because it's not about the past. It's about what's happening in you right here, right now. I want you to notice a couple things about this. I want you to notice first how reason and spirituality are not 
opposed to each other here. They're inseparably bound together. I want you to notice how Plato is putting Socrates, the Socratic project, because Socrates is how you, you know, get the man to teach the lion, how you get to realize your own foolishness, with Pythagoras. Because here's, right, the self-transcendence, the rising above yourself, the radical transformation of your consciousness and cognition that Pythagoras talks so much about. Now this is such an entrancing and enriching and empowering myth, a perennial parable, that it's going to be a constant refrain throughout the West. People are going to be coming back to it again and again and again. And I want to talk now more about the Pythagorean side of Plato, just to bring out a few things. So, Plato talks about, like, he uses a term, eidos, and that gets translated into the word form. And when people hear the word form, they hear shape. It also gets translated into the word idea. When they hear idea, they think of concept or an idea in your head. That's not what Plato means. The, when he, he's using that word, it's much closer to our word like a paradigm. He, he's using a word to talk about the real patterns that we're discovering in reality. Now, there's an interesting thing about these real patterns. They're both the access, the pathway we have to understanding something, the pathway we have for getting at the reality of something, because those are the real patterns. But they're not just the affordance of our knowing. The real patterns are also what makes something be what it is. So, this is work also from the psychology of concepts and how people understand things. When you ask people what a bird is, they'll say the following. Oh yeah, well, I know what a bird is, right? It has wings, feathers, a beak. And it flies. There you go. That's a bird. They give you what's called a feature list. And then you think that, and then you can get involved in a very long process, which I think has largely been something of a mistake. We'll come back to this. No, not totally, because it's important in science, but of thinking that the way I understand something is by having a definition of it in terms of the, the correct features. Now, there's a problem with this. Although people believe that this is how they know what a bird is, they're mistaken in an important sense. Because I could satisfy this definition in the following way. I could put a couple wings on this table, a bunch of feathers, a beak, and then throw it all up in the air. I have wings, beak, feathers, and flight. Do I have a bird? No, I don't. I have a bloody mess. Because what's missing is something more important. What's missing is the structural, functional organization 
the way all those things hang together, the way they're structured together so that the bird functions as a whole. What's missing from this is the structural functional organization that makes the whole greater than the sum of its parts. The Germans have a great word for this, gestalt. In English, we don't. The Greeks have a good word for this. It's the word logos, although a word that's being discussed a lot today. Uh, I think it needs to be discussed a little bit more carefully. Now, here's the thing I want you to realize. Remember we talked about how you pick up on real patterns, and a lot of those patterns you're not picking up an explicit sense. You know what a bird is. You have some sense of the logos of it. But if I ask you, what is that logos? What is the structural functional organization? And most of, that, most of what makes a bird a bird is found in that logos. But if I ask you, what is the logos of a bird? How do these all structure together so they function as a whole in which the whole transcends simply an accumulation of its... You can't tell me. But that's what the research shows, in fact. You can't tell me. Your grasp is intuitive. So notice something very interesting here. You often have an intuitive grasp of the logos of things. And the logos is form. Where form doesn't mean shape. Form means something more like formula. It means the structural functional organization. And that form, that logos, is not only how the thing is right, integrated together. It's how your mind can be integrated with it. Remember, this logos, this real pattern, is not only how you know something, but it's also the pattern that makes it be what it is. So this is a very different idea of knowing. You saw it already in the myth of the cave. But when I really know something, I, I conform to it. I become like it in some important way. I get in my mind the same real pattern that's in the thing, because that real pattern is what allows me to come to know the thing and to enter into that reciprocal realization with it. Now, this is going to be an important idea. This is an idea that's going to be taken up by Plato's greatest disciple somebody we're going to talk about next time when we're together. And that's Aristotle. Thank you very much for your time. John Verveke, don't play. Don't play the next one. <laughs> the next one. How do we turn off the autoplay? <laughs> hey, if you know, leave it in the comments. <laughs> I had that part where he's. That had me almost crying really, there towards the end, though. Man. It's like very like you know it's it's not necessarily the sincerity of how he's putting it out, but, but that's the part sincerity of, of mankind and what we are going it's through. It's what and, made me think know, of is like, like man, this is a human like, talking about this right now, trying to figure out how do we survive this 
this stage yeah. of our species growth. You know, it's we are really very much in this thing that you can call a phase shift. That moment. Well, we're stumbling out of the cave collectively. We are. Yeah, and there's there's some of us that are still behind, and it, it, like there's a communication breakdown. So they're chained up. Yeah, well, it's essentially, our minds become so distracted, we're so overwhelmed with everything that we got to do in life. Well, here's the thing: how do you even keep track of everything that's going on right now? We have to figure this out together. How does humanity go forth? How do we heal the divisions in our culture? How do we create a better world yeah. and be the stewards that the that our grandchildren and our ancestors need, need us, you know, future forebears need us to be. So I want to bring it, uh, probably won't get the image up there, but the, you know, um, you can look at a lot of drawings or paintings or whatever that have been done of the cave. And what you'll notice is those who are chained up, like in this one specifically, there's a guy pointing to it and talking and another guy with his hand raised, which is like a questioning thing. So part of the chains isn't like, you know, of course, you know, He's not talking about people literally being chained in a cave, but the chains of like, you know, like, I don't know, call it like, how many people do you know who can name the Kardashians but can't name certain facts that they should know? Those kind of chains. It's like, where is your intellect directed? It's directed onto the shadow. To break your chains, you turn around and you get blinded by the fire for the first Mm. time and have to move past that fire. Blinded by the light. And then finally, after stumbling around for a bit, being terribly confused, you see a tiny little passageway, which kind of gives me the claustrophobic feeling that you got to squeeze yourself through. But then the light gets more intense. So now you're Climb blind and claustrophobic pathway. and then blind and then claustrophobic again. Just overwhelmed. Yeah. And then, Your eyes have to adjust to the light. There's so much new information now, yeah. so much increased awareness and vision. Your vision is much brighter even than when it was when it turned around and saw the fire. Yeah. And so, because when the guy looks up in the story, the sun blinds him, and you really can only glimpse at the sun. You know, it's overwhelming to look at. Well, so before and I get to the sun, so I, I want to bring up the thing. He's that... just awed, and now he runs down there excited, trying to tell them. Yeah. The well, people that are out there, but before he was trying to even even able to glimpse the sun, I think yeah, there was, he gets he gets some people to come out with him. Well, there's the idea of okay, now I've seen the fire that creates these shadows that the, the stories are being told on. Now I see another light. What's behind that light? And then eventually you get out into it, and it's not a factor of what's behind it. But now mm-hmm. you're completely immersed in it. Yeah. And then you look up at the sun. You can't even look at it. So like. And that to me is like the ultimate aspiration of where we're going, something that we can't even look mm-hmm. at. It's so bright, but yeah. you know, you can work yourself and, you know, yeah. he's to, describing the continual process of enlightenment you know, that we're going through to, to crawl out of the cave and then the he fi- like, walks behind- forward and then his eyes have to adjust and then he becomes, he can see more. He's more aware. He's has wider vision and he gets a little further. So they explore, they come back, they tell the people about it. And then of course, well, what, what happens? What, what, it's 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 the quest to find what casts the shadow, or not what casts the shadow, but what throws the light against whatever casts the shadow. Sure. And then when you come, you know, when you come back down from seeing something, the that thing you, that casts that you all shadows, get behind, yeah. you, like you can't, you can't go further than yeah. that, and you come back down. Now you're blinded because, like, how do you communicate? Oh, in such well, a great off, state of awe is the way, yeah. There, and then how do you communicate what that is? You have no reference for that. Yeah, this guy's in such a state of awe. Yeah. So he comes back, and he's just he can barely even see when he comes back yeah. into the cave. His eyes aren't adjusting 
to the level that the people are, of course, yeah. that are sitting in there watching the shadows. Well, and they think he's crazy. And because also, he's, he's talking around. about all the stuff yeah. they've never heard about. So, yeah, they it's think like, he's dude, nuts. He's stumbling. Yeah. He's this is reality. This is life. Look raving here. madly about this thing that just blew, blew him away more that than anything he'd ever seen. That yeah. kind of blows my mind. Trying to like, if all you know in the universe, like in your universe, in your head, is shadow. When you go out into the light, how do you describe reflected light coming up off of something? Because all you know is the light that's reflected off of something and the shadow of something being in the way of that light. Whereas mm. if you look at a plant, you're seeing the light reflecting off of the mm-hmm. plant back into your eye. Yeah. And then you have reflective surfaces mm-hmm. and other stuff like that. So, like, how do you explain that, that concept to people? You're right. Yeah. So, well, Flat World uh, t- talked about this, you know, like, you know, the one piece rising above everything else coming back down. And then they ridicule them and, like, oh, well, yeah. you're crazy. What are these crazy nonsense things? And then the smart ones realize, like, the ones holding, in in the case of this last picture, I think it was like a horse and some, you know, some guy running or oh, something yeah, like that. Oh, yeah. I couldn't find. Do you remember what part of the video it was where um, he I'm, shows I'm not, that? I'm not entirely case, certain. Because I am. I have no idea, and it's not popping uh, it, up the it, little it, window. It's fine. Hey, hey look it up. Um, yeah, I'm going to look it up, guys. Um, yeah, so in, in, so there are, 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 like, to go back to this, once he once he finds it, um, I, I'm just going to keep talking about it until then. Um, so you have the people that are chained in the cave, and behind them, well, they're looking at a wall in front of them, and behind them is another wall to block out the direct firelight. And then you have people, you know, dressed in armor, holding, you know, like a cutout for a horse and a cutout for a soldier, and they're telling the story. So I would mm-hmm. see those, those are the sophists, those that are using intellect to lie, or using logic to lie. So, like, this story is the story that, you know, I guess Plato was writing for Socrates as an appreciation, because Socrates was the man that left. He turned around, saw the fire, went past the sophist, went behind the sophist back and saw the real light and where it comes from, mm-hmm. was blinded by it, baffled, and came stumbling back down talking to people, and the people didn't like it because it's bright. It hurts your eyes. The shadows are much more convenient. There was so much self-knowledge you know? at once. Yeah. People weren't ready to hear it. I never really thought of like the allegory <laughs> well, it threatens, of the cave as being People, kind of I a, think, it's individuals because he probably had mo- his moments of graciousness then he had his moments where he was just kind of playing a social experiment and really seeing how much someone was willing to go into dialogos with him but regardless he he was doing so i forgot i lost my train of thought he was doing so in order to be able to appeal to the people uh ultimately failed at that oh well help me get back to where i was going well, I think he definitely appealed so to a, a lot of people, but may, maybe not necessarily, you know, so, okay, so this image here, like, those those are... He, he did appeal to people, but he threatened the power structures. That's what I was getting at. He threatened yeah. the power structures. And, well, look, the power structures are behind the wall. You never see the power structures. Mm-hmm. So those, I guess... The Wizard are, of Oz, yeah. So those people with the, the horse and all that that are telling the official story and, mm-hmm. and notice that the people watching it they're entertained they're questioning it they they're wondering what's they, going on in the story well, they're, and they're yeah. trying to make sense of that and they're going through mm-hmm. a simulated enlightenment experience that's controlled by it right. but now here zoom out a little bit 
And so if we go like from the fire, you, he had to walk first past that fire, which was initially blinding. Imagine coming around that turn and only seeing shadows, and then you see that fire. It's and then he has that's already a jolt. And to then the you system. see more bright but light. Then you see his light, and, and there's a there's a tunnel. More. So it's not showing us the tunnel here; it's yeah. just showing us the next scene. But he does crawl up a tunnel, yeah, and it's getting brighter and brighter. And he gets out; he's blinded. He his eyes adjust, so he he gets a little further. He starts to see this world and how beautiful and majestic it is. And then he sees this thing up here that he cannot comprehend. He's filled with awe, runs back down, and of course he's insane to them. This yeah, is and, and this picture doesn't have captivating. It, you could only imagine. And this is all though. you can see. Well, put yourself in the because position the view of, is being controlled. You well, know? put yourself in the position of the the person that is looking up against the wall, and that's all they know. That story that's on mm -hmm. the wall is all they know. That's it. Like, how would you feel about that? Yeah, like yeah. somebody coming in, causing a ruckus and breaking up that. You know, and it's interesting that they use like shadows and light like that because I'm curious about the story, very, man. Well, the the light is it's, very soothing and very, you know, like. Firelight. These must have been. I'm sure these were very entertaining. That this is one oh, form yeah. of entertainment they had yeah, back shadow then. Shadow shows. Shadow no shows. Joke, man. Like, it's, really and so stuff. that's yeah. That's uh. But they, you know, and you it's, don't, it's cool that he thought about that. That yeah. far. That. Well, this was media. Long ago, this was media back in his age. You know, this right. Is, you didn't. This have, is the most advanced media that they had, but the, this is the most captivating kind of interactive story yeah. making that they were doing at the time if you want to make it equatable today yes yeah we're all paying attention more to what's on the wall than what's actually casting the light mm -hmm. and i mentioned reflections like reflecting thing it was interesting this oh, picture yeah, the has the water so eventually it's the yeah, sun but then yeah. there's also the water that light bouncing back, back all of this light bouncing off of the particularly reflective surfaces everywhere it's so this is the process of enlightenment and oh that Socrates was trying to invite the people into because he's like, we need to be able to manage the monsters in us. They're getting really powerful. As we gain more and more powerful, we're more and more detrimental to what good we have been able to bring together. You know, they had, they had a decent life in ancient Greece. You know, they, they did a really good job of managing that social system and finding a way for humans to live in accord and it was the beginning of things like democracy. And these things were imperfect at their start. But even early on, you had these guys like these great wise elders like Socrates and Plato that were seen ahead and saying, well, here's how we can get a handle on all of these conflicts that we experience that threaten to be magnified the, yeah. the more able we grow as a species and he could you know and seeing that track of technological improvement over time is something that's always been here it's just really rapidly intensified as of late so we can barely even keep track because how do you how can you see what's coming at this point um yeah but all we can do is can find still see what's coming oddly enough yeah yeah if you, different pay, if you, versions pay, if you pay attention a dystopian future scenario for sure well how many, you know like how many times have you woken up and you just had that funny like that funny feeling like yep and then like you know like i don't know whatever circumstance feels like it would be the right thing to do and then you look on it and you're like yep that makes sense and you don't really know but you know that there's yeah that like you know the hand opposed to the finger you know you know the you know instead of oh this is exactly what's going to happen you're like well it's still right it's one of the fucking fingers i knew yeah, <laughs> yeah. i knew the hand was going to happen today so yeah. like we yeah each day lately i'm glad world war 3 hasn't officially begun 
though it seems that it probably has as far as information is concerned. Uh, and it's, it probably started happening right after World War II. My, most likely. That's, yeah, it's yeah. been psychological operations ever since. But that's depressing. So yeah. let's get out of that. But game. that's why we're watching this is <laughs> yeah, because man. that's part oh, of yeah. it. Uh, there's, there's a... Oh, boy. Yeah. No, we, we are in a time of, of uh, myriad existential crises facing our species. Mm-hmm. Well, we have to be able to see them to know how to deal with them, but we also have to be able to engage with them without them overwhelming us and just totally depressing us and keeping us in that state yeah. of anxiety where things well, become because, blurry yeah, again and you just don't want to watch it. You want to give up when you see the number of different things that face our species, well, but then you also see how great we are at skirting the precipice, in fact, dancing and excelling in times when yeah, well, it really matters parkour it, you know constantly <laughs> parkour, yeah parkour, we, parkour, we see this in our athletes and our musicians and our artists and people all over the world it's well that's how we get through life is as gracefully as we possibly can and sometimes it's, it's gotten this it's far beautiful. might as well give it the best go that we can give even if it's just the tiniest glimmer of hope because that glimmer is coming from something as bright as that sun and it always gets brighter than that sun too, because that sun is 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 ultimately just a fire casting a shadow. Mm-hmm. So that's where the cycling aspect of it continues. You know, it's just it... <clears throat> and you know this is that 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 picture wasn't like the best, but it got it got the gist of Gives it. Gives the idea across. And yeah, it's... yeah. The way he was describing it mm-hmm. when I've listened to this one previously, yeah. it's I I can visualized it really sure. well in my head because he describes yeah. this long tunnel going up well and there's an em- cave emerging emerging yeah. out of the earth as in being like born again too like you mm. hear that like born again christian or born yeah. again or you had an being experience reborn. Yeah. or like awakened again or it's, mm-hmm. it, it's you know the same thing so like i i like i like resurrection the of rebirth cave the phoenix and, yeah um phoenix comes out of the fire too but you know that's that's kind of where we're at right now is we're more than us than what you'd think are stumbling our way out of the cave or or stumbling our way back oh, into gosh, the yeah. cave oh i think to get others back out yeah, of the cave yeah, or yeah, somewhere yeah. in between by like, the millions easy you know? easily yeah well we shouldn't lose hope you know i think there's a lot more there's a lot more people no no congrats to russell brand reaching 6 million oh, subscribers yeah, hey, today yeah that guy's came awesome, out of nowhere man. he he does such a good job and i gotta be honest i wasn't a fan of russell brand when he was drug addict spoiled whatever kid running around doing dumb stuff that was whatever was put out there in the media but uh so, see him on the news a few times and you're like wait well, a minute this guy's knows his stuff he, well he and had then a, you he see had the work he's doing in, now he yeah, his political his coverage life, like, is awesome he, yeah. he, he took his potential and was like well this is where i'm gonna go with he cleaned it. up he teaches yeah, about man, that as well he writes great. on he it he went from yeah. somebody i didn't care for to somebody that i'm like actually russell you're still a weirdo and i like well, it you know but, and his his yeah, news commentary appeals to the left and the right he's got a really good take on things and, and he well, sees this as all his awakening together. As well. So I, I love his approach. Yeah. I love his attitude. I think he's yeah. doing the good work. He's, he's a guy that covers all the bases for me. Cause I'll watch other shows and I'm like, okay, you guys need to tap into our wisdom component here that I see Verveke tapping into as well. well so right, I'm really right. excited. Verveke was just on Lex Friedman. He was on our remarks, his podcast. So he's starting to well, Russell Brand is steep into the, the mainstream. We may need a little, a few more gestures getting on board. With... Sure. We got lots of great gestures out there too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Keep them coming, man. Yeah. I, it's, yeah, it's you've... necessary. We need it. It's, we love it. You know, and Dave Chappelle is like the perfect example of that. 
Sure. Well, and you know, the jester, the fool, is the one who can speak the greatest truth in Wise front of fool, the in, in, that case, man. in front yeah. of the most powerful person and still keep their head. <laughs> right. That's why he's wise. Yeah, he's skilled. You know. Yeah. It, well, it's it's so healthy for us too to be able to find that something that shocks us because it's true, but it's presented in a funny and an endearing way. Like I live with you, and I want to make our lives yeah, better yeah. together. Kind of approach. Like you really feel that in comedy. Um, that we're we're making fun of the things that are difficult to talk about any other way. And we're finding a way to be able to feel joy together um, in the comprehension of, of that shared understanding, that shared reality. So the comedians are playing on the edge a lot right now and making a point to try and offend people because we're all finding ourselves being so easily offended well, and certainly you get there's reason to, to be appalled by some of the things happening in our world well how do you get somebody to turn around to look and see there's a fire you say something that pisses them off and they're like what? <laughs> that's one way oh, of doing crap. it what right how is that <laughs> that's one way of doing <laughs> yeah. it yeah yeah but, i think i know, think that martin luther king approach is, is the way one of the ways definitely you on know? the uh, definitely on the way yeah i think gandhi um, had it had it you know i think well, Christ had it, but you know all these guys. You know they they get themselves killed or attacked at some point. Um, yeah. And so and so being able to popularize these things um, very fast so that everybody's involved in it is like the safest way for us all to do the thing. Well, sure. It's just to get out yeah. there and like love one another truly and be open to each other's ideas and opinions and, and take the orientation of let's figure this shit out together instead of just debating and this opposing and, and, kind of orientation and, and, and we always do it in like, a way that's get that side by fun side. and enjoyable and and you know appreciative too because like there's you know like these are big problems that right, there's, right now there's we truth have, on both sides sometimes that you've got to figure well, out and right now we have a very adversarial you know not not to use the terms yeah, politically right. left yeah. and right but the left side and the right side yeah button heads where is it you know like and people are I think it should be more like holding yeah. hands and giggling through the flowers, and when your buddy like trips and falls in a hole and disappears, well, we and can play flowers, through this. You laugh yeah, and you giggle and you keep well, going. That... You're like, you're going this way, dummy. Come on now, instead of. But the why of that and the how of that needs to be deeply illustrated. And we're clawing, or we're also you know, all because the hippies or... came out saying that, but it was not sophisticated at the time. But it was right. Well, we're also clawing. We should all love and be unified. We're Sorry, go ahead. We're clawing our way out of the hole. Right. That's out it. of the cave that's it it's a struggle and it's tight yeah. it's narrow and it's blinding or you're already blinded going back down into it right it's not a very graceful position to be in so yeah. maybe cut ourselves yeah. some fucking yeah. slack yeah we do we do you know yeah. like we're we're doing pretty damn good but we still need to keep going and we need to do more but we're doing pretty damn good and let's keep on improving you know, keep on keeping on being willing to hear each other's perspectives um and, and really even beyond here, it actually out together. truly like got tried to, to with our own families, our own communities, all over again. Because you know, a lot of the division that happens in society becomes capitalized on when there's superpowers, you know, competing for control over the well, future. We do the it. We do it and individually. We're too. certainly in a our, our, our moment of that right now too. Our, our yeah. inclination is when we see a division to go one way or another. That's the survival instinct. Yeah, standing in the middle, you get plowed over. Yeah. Um, but so, that's but what then, Socrates played. That's what all these guys <laughs> end up having to do, though, yeah. because we're progressively enlightening ourselves as, as to how we can work together in larger and larger groups that are interconnected in so many different cultures and clashing cultures clashing and intermingling and coming together in this time 
is the fruit for all kind of disaster, but also also all kind of beautiful creation. So we see the things that are the fruits of interrelating cultures, jazz, soul, rock and roll, comedy, and yeah, so forth. And well, no creation ever happened without disaster either. You know, right. we, we are comprised right. of the carbon and the other stuff because yeah. something Death else, of an old idea, something new else ideas exploded. Coming forth. And, so we, yeah, you know, so we're in this time. So. New way of being is starting to describe itself to us. And we got to figure out how it fits and orders and organizes itself. And man, how lucky we are to be alive in these kinds man. of yeah. times. Man. We, we get to see God and our, our religions grow with us we get to experience communion during the process we get to experience enlightenment and joy and peace as we gain control over you know i don't even know control is the right word because it's it's a dance it's it's more like play it's more like music you're we're bringing in this man this monster and this line into a chord you know so it's like we get to tell the story of course in out of out of this Mm -hmm interactions of these notes and, these and it's constantly and, you know constantly shifting of hue and of texture as well between the three you know if we're talking about the psyches you know mm-hmm. and yeah in the world okay, this and, one and, needs a little needs to be brought up a little bit yeah. this one brought back and, and it naturally and, flows too because there's like you know the the need to control but then there's also being in control when things change like you know like control the in a way surfer. that makes sense just like the song well, like makes the sense surfer. as it goes You're in it's control of yourself solving and, itself yeah yeah you know yeah, a song doesn't make sense if it doesn't flow together in a way that is comprehensible. You know, it's it's hard to explain what that is, but yeah, that's what happens when you're listening to something that sounds good to you because you like the arrangements and the notes and the way that you they build were ordered and came together and then what they turned into and yeah. said at the end of that thing. And So you build something that's recognizable, right? And mm-hmm. then you take it in a direction... And then you interrupt the anticipation. Mm-hmm. You do something unexpected. Yeah. But in a yeah. good way. So it's like these and, mathematical and, Well, you can do solutions. that to yourself, too, with like, you know, this, this method of thinking about yourself in three different ways as well. Because like the... Well, our, yeah, our psyche is like these yeah. three different things, whereas we are like... And each one does slightly The awareness unexpected. that gets to operate through all yeah. of them. Yeah. We are what is incarnating through the avatars that we have as our bodies what we are this awareness we are the greater than the sum of our, our parts yes that's most certainly because we're made up of billions of little tiny particles well and even the, particles you know and, even with the, just our psyche alone under this three different breakdown we're not the three you know the man the the lion and the monster we are the greater than that yes. that happens we're from part the of the prime mover the thing yeah that um our bandmate jesse was saying to me the other day in a text what we are you know we're, we're not our name and our ideas are so of ourselves but we're what has awareness of them right so we're mm-hmm. talking about that so he's like we are what makes fall happen mm-hmm. we're what shines the light of the sun i can't remember the exact words but we're what makes the birds sing and he, he had this beautiful way of saying this and um that's it that's what we are, and that's that thing is nameless. That thing is infinite. That thing is hard. you can't put. And it's always greater than down on it. it's always the parts yeah. that we can define within it. That too, it, know, it turns. It becomes our awareness. It becomes this universe, this cosmos, this this story of life now on this planet. And we're just crawling ourselves out of the hole. We're not even yeah, out of the hole yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah. Why are we? We're not yeah, even out we? being so blinded by the actual ourselves. sun yet. We're yeah, just crawling out of the life. hole. Yeah, like it's, <laughs> there's so much wrong with the world for sure. But 
in the greater scheme of things, like we're in the midst of the story right now. We're maybe still in the beginning if we're lucky, but we, we're definitely certainly in the midst of the story. Mm -hmm. I hope we're not, this climax is not the end of the story. I hope it's just a, a chapter. And we are now going to go into a new chapter where we are metaf metamorphing into something else, something that transcends what we are now. And that's what humans have done. Well, we're going to become continually evolved. We're going to be something different either mm -hmm. way, you know, yeah. so, um, we continue to enlighten and we're never yeah. going to be the same. And, and so like, so with all these stories that we tell and like our, our myths, there's always the old way fighting with the new way to exist. Right. Mm -hmm. So like the, 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 the future way and the past way will always fight with each other to see which one has more merit. And we're just, well, I won't say just, but we're moving through that conflict between the, the old ways and the new ways. And sometimes the old ways mm -hmm. actually do need to persist in certain ways. Sure. Yeah. And the, the new ways the need true. to be shut yeah. down sometimes. Yeah, this building style works. But, Let's keep an eye on this yeah. building and manage it properly so that it continues but standing. But then the new building uh, style comes into play that is also permissible. But you have, you need to have uh, the tried and the true minded to help keep the thing standing once it's proven tried and true. So, yeah, we need our innovators. We need the conservative side of ourselves and the progressive sides of ourselves as humanity. They play together very, very well. Yeah, yeah, it keeps and, society functioning. And, yeah. and You need the left and the right. The bird needs both wings to fly. Kind of, kind now a plane right? doesn't need both wings you can actually do something where one wing falls off and if you do it just right you can fly a plane with one wing but but it's temporary <laughs> <laughs> well flying is temporary i don't know anything but it's also using forever. an engine and yeah it's yeah 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 in, in perfect metaphor but there we go so anagage mm. the greek term for ascent how we can be more fully alive more in contact with reality, with the patterns of reality. So we have this meta drive to be able to be, to find patterns and meta drives towards peace and, and, and increasing our sense of reality, both inner and outer. And that, and following that drive allows us wisdom and to experience the highest fullness of being. So this was an excitement that Plato and Socrates were trying to share with their fellow humans too. They're like, Oh my God, there's this thing called enlightenment. And I'm trying to look, 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 look. And all the great religions have found this and spoken of this. And this is a capacity that all human beings have access to. And it's not a thing that you suddenly like have an enlightenment experience and then you're an enlightened mm. Buddha. No, it's a constant process throughout our lives. We are becoming increasingly well, aware and you can fall back and you can go forward and, Enlightenment has no cap, though. That's for sure. Yeah. But there are immeasurable heights that we've seen human beings go to that are just astounding in their beauty and, and their capacity for love and the wisdom that they're able to share with the world that we still talk about thousands of years later. You know, Buddha and Jesus. Well, and you got to give it up. Lao Tzu. You got to give it up to the people who kept that knowledge going, too. Right. You know, Plato kept How can we Pythagoras be and uh, Socrates' knowledge going and then... Aristotle kept theirs going and then more and more people like all kept each other's works going before we, you know, cause like these are like, you know, we like to think that we can store things for long periods of time, but how long does a CD last? Not long. How long do you think your hard drive is going to last? But how long, long can a story last? Yeah. Long, a lot longer than paper, longer than buildings made of stone. Yeah. So, yeah. 
So Matrix, that was a great example. Yeah. And like the name Neo comes from Neoplatonism, Neo <laughs> literally. Yeah. yeah, the new man. Yes, because it is a yeah. Neoplatonic myth that yeah. they're telling in that story, that allegory of the cave story. It's been told many times. There's a movie called Maze. There's The Hunger Games. This story has been told many times. Yeah. This 19, 1984 by George Orwell. It's another version of Allegory of the Cave. So there's going to be many versions of these that become, that are always pertinent to the now and they speak to us. These are perennial stories, as he put it. Perennial stories mm -hmm. that always speak to the current, yeah. yet they are timeless. Yeah. They, they, they speak to something that is very important for humans to understand because this is part of our evolutionary capacity that we've developed. It's an adaptation that we've developed to survive, to even be able to gain capacity, to be able to work in concert with and utilize all three aspects of our psyche together in accord. You, in, you get into this flow state that every human being has access to. That's wild. That's crazy that we have gone this far in our evolution. Not only are we super social beings, that friggin', like I like to say, we appreciate sunsets, write poetry and music and things like that. But we also are, beyond that, creative. We are, so, are much more expansive, capable of much more than we ever thought. I mean, Bruce Lee... You know, Chuck Norris level yeah. <laughs> capacities, you know, Muhammad Ali, Mike Tyson level capacities. So the myth of wisdom is perennially relevant. It's what Verbeke is telling us here. This is why we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater when we start to take apart the religious systems that we came up with. We Now that we start to see the... Some of the things that don't line up, like, say, the talking snake example in the Bible, mm -hmm. you know, it's it, we're recognizing, okay, there is a parable being told here. These are parables. What were these parables saying? We find that some of these parables are super friggin' deep. Now, sometimes they have cultural baggaging of their time that ladens them down, and, and it makes it hard for us to be able to appreciate um, the underlying teaching that's being told, but it's still there. And we have to be able to see past the cultural packaging of these myths into what they were, they're telling us about what it is to be essentially human. Well, and we can be like the, what the shamans were in the past where we can put ourselves to Constantly. a certain extent into the shoes of Reframing, that in the past. Yeah. And, yeah. and go through and, you know, mm -hmm. try to, well, and that's maybe that's one, one of the reasons why we really love story yeah. and movies and things like that is because it allows us to directly alter our state of consciousness and put ourselves, and put into, ourselves into like yeah. you know, like the Beowulf, the Beowulf movie that came out. People didn't watch it because of what, what was it like Russell Crowe and uh, Angelina Jolie? No, it's like well, yeah, that probably helped, but people wanted to see it because that story. I want to be able to see this, and I could put myself in those. Even though Beowulf is like really far removed, like the lessons learned in that, you kind of have to. But the fact really that really the there's a charm to the idea of this mm. ancient myth that feels important for yeah. some reason being told again. Yeah, and now actually at this point we can kind of empathize with Grendel because Grendel was just like, "Shut up." I've been outcast from you guys, and you guys seem to be mocking me with all your happiness, and you won't allow me to have it with The you. Grinch is a great yeah, yeah, version yeah. of that story. Oh, the Grinch is Grendel. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. We even want to see Grinch come around, you know? Yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, do uh, what was his name? Uh, Dr. Seuss. He was a uh, kind of hermeticist uh, into this. Must have been, man. Oh, yeah. That guy was deep, too. He, he, what was a trip. he was encoding some deep lessons in his works. One fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. What does it mean? So, yeah. So, Verbeke said this. So, this recognition of myths 
mm. um, being peril- the myths of wisdom being perennially relevant. That means relevant over time and to yeah, the current and, and, and always and, and perennial also always coming back, mm-hmm. always coming mm-hmm. back. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Presents with us now an opportunity to, to be able to get a hold, mm-hmm. get, get a grasp on reality again together and surf this tidal wave that we're, we're apparently riding. So uh, reason and spirituality in concert, that this this is the only way. You have to have some conception of the tra- yeah. self-transcendent and some sense of reverence, some sense of wonder for that capacity for transcendence within the human being. The, the recognition to, of our interconnection, the interconnect, our oneness. What happened to break those two things apart, though? You know, it's like reasoning and spirituality. Like The super salience of that monster mind is, well, is like, captured like when, and though, utilized like, by people in positions of power, but also just like commercials and advertisements and everything well, else that's trying to bend your will to do something that... Oh, it's just like, you know, when... They when, want you to do. When did that break develop, like, between... We, we, have, we found ethical ways... And unethical ways of, I guess what what, what purpose commerce, does that, we? What what purpose does separating the two serve? And I know there's probably a really good purpose to be able for to differentiate. That, but, it, it helped us yeah. to be able to break things down and understand them so that we could scientifically develop. We we had to be able to develop. Um, what's the term mm, for that? Your machines Starts don't care about your, your machines don't care about your soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to delineate. Uh, um, to pare things down and break them up into smaller and smaller and smaller pieces. That's really helpful. But like Verbeke said, being able to do that doesn't help you define something. Being able to break the bird down into its parts doesn't help you. doesn't actually give you a bird if you try and put it back together or describe it to somebody. It's got to be put together in such an, and organized in the right order in such a way that it becomes greater than the sum of its parts. Just like our awareness is this greater than the sum of our individual parts like somehow we have self-reflective awareness which science still can't account for and Verveke is actually at the cutting edge of this work that's why what what he's talking about right now with this awakening from the meaning crisis and the different aspects of knowing that we have it's on the very cutting edge and it's helping AI research get further it's helping us understand the nature of consciousness itself so he and his colleagues and the people that he's building upon have been pushing at the very edge of this and it's coming just in time for humanity because we have so much to wrestle with and so much to learn. Well, we're going to need some help and, to deal and, with and it. So an AI we need would to, be great. Really, more than anything, we need to develop <laughs> our co- wisdom capacity again yeah. to the highest level, as many of us as possible, well, so our, that we can our correctly, properly needs wield to catch up with our this immense power. Technology, yes. technology. Because That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes. So Einstein's yeah, point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, precisely. Like, well, and I was thinking about that earlier. Is like, you know, we're at a point in time which I think would be rare for humans where our technology is vastly outpacing our psychotechnologies to be able to deal with our technology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's what happened in the Bronze Age, too. You know, your technology advances faster than you reason for it. And we write stories about It was about very this. easy to control and rule people and to have your empire. Well, even, but well, hold if on, you're not even beyond developing the, mature people. Even beyond the controlling and ruling people. The reason. Well, I'm saying that's why it breaks down because people get into positions of power and control without the wisdom to wield it, and then the thing starts to break down because you don't have the wisdom. But we're talking. We're talking about like entire like civilizations. Yeah. Completely gone in a matter of nothing. Yeah. They're going through what we're going through right now. That's an individual breakdown where each all the way down to the individual. It's like your cell dies. 
like every cell in your body dies that level not like your liver goes a cancer. out but it's like there there was a cancer well, like something like that maybe in in our collective psyche i, that I think developed. it's just we outpaced ourselves a little too fast well you're right and we then, we outpaced yeah. ourselves we did not yet have the wisdom to and wield that level of technology it, it, because once people that are greedy get in positions of power with that level of technology they can control and brainwash well, Even the minds of mass I, I, numbers of people, I, I, and then you start to have a very radical social breakdown I, because these people are not fit to wield this level of power, and it's better in the hands of everybody that you can get it in I together, think, I think working together on it, I not think, in the few small people at the top, right? I think the those who would wield the power irresponsibly is a component of it. But I, I feel truly, and like in this day too, it's the individual not recognizing like even beyond even if we didn't have ruling powers to do this we had not yet developed the wisdom capacity yeah, so within we're, ourselves we're, as individuals of course right yeah. n- right now yeah. is the the ru- the ruling powers as they be are are having less and less and less control over us than they've ever had before we had not formalized them we were developing but, our sentences of intuition and understanding like the mood but ever since the we were around the campfire as we're Kate, at and, the point where an individual themselves now, can have that can have massive control over all of us. We can all individually have control over the individuals of all of us. If right. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. With the power of the internet, we really do have. A yeah. Cause a tyrannical leader is one thing. A good people can rise up and take them out. But what happens when we've become so atomized Poisonous as, to ourselves? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. see where you're going. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's like, because it does, like, the, the, the corrupt leader is just a symptom, right? The corrupt leader is it's a just symptom a symptom of, and, and yeah. a cause. It's reciprocal. Yeah. Yeah, not to put too much blame on the individual, but like, yeah, you know, like, no, no, it's both though, and, and that's yeah. the point of this podcast too, is to talk about how we must change the world from the inside out. That yeah. just trying to affect the outer isn't going to work well, if we ourselves haven't changed internally because we well won't as, be able to uphold it. Yeah, yeah, we won't be able to uphold it. Yeah, well, we yeah. could have a revolution tomorrow, but we yet are not wise enough people to responsibly wield that power. It, the whole system will become corrupt all over again by tomorrow morning. Whatever we're going to put in its place is not going to be any better. It's likely mm-hmm. going to be worse. The power structures that all, already exist will then adapt to this and become even more pervasive and powerful themselves as they have been in our world trying to get after free mm-hmm. countries like this country and many others uh, ever since they begin to be a thing. I guess what we're doing right here is to throw that trend on its head. Yeah. And instead of it going all the way down to being worse and every system being worse and worse and worse is figure out how to build new psychotechnologies to deal with where we're at mm-hmm. to make wise sense collective decisions. Sense making, collective wisdom making, yes. Yeah. Well, we have the perfect technology for that. We've never had anything we better do. than this. You we know, can it, radically we and can, rapidly yeah. Yeah, accelerate. And, and it empowers the individual you. too. It's, it's. I'm not condemning, you know, I'm not condemning people or anything. Like this should be empowering. It's like, when I say you are responsible for what happens in your life, it's not condemning you saying, but it's saying, no, you have the ability to affect anything yes. in your life. Yes. It, it's an empowering thing. Yeah. That, and every like, single one of us, yeah. I believe is integral to how this whole story plays out yeah. as well. Yeah. I absolutely believe that every day we're making differences in ways that we are, are not able to keep track of, but you know, that smile at the right time changes your day and then you pass mm-hmm. it on genuinely and it changes somebody else's day. And then that, person is actually kind to their son that afternoon that could have been the next you know mass shooter the day the next day Uh because the depth of his depression it's we're constantly rippling out and so yeah on on that note guys may you continue rippling out 
Um, I think we covered everything. Yeah, let's look through real fast before we dip out here. Okay. Reason, spirituality, and concert. Again, Eidos. Um, developing a sense of logos. That's, let's get to that. The grasp, the intuitive uh, grasp of the patterns, underlying patterns of reality. Well, yeah. And Not just how we know, but how we can change and how things actually are and make themselves to be what they are. Well, and the logos is almost like the in, in like the thing that defines it's like the thing that defines something that is indefinable. So you mm -hmm. kind of, like you have to be there, man. Like you could think of like you know the McDonald's M as a logos. Like explain the McDonald's um, logo, if you will. Mm -hmm. Well, you can tell me, okay, it's an M with the name underneath of it, but like what kind of M? And what does it look like? Or you could tell me the history of like, oh, it's an ancient sigil of the death bird, you know, <laughs> and all that stuff. But it's like. That that logos is the thing it's that defines itself that you McDonald's. can't really tell somebody. You can't yeah, like I can tell you Apple, and right. you can get an image of Apple in your head, but it's not actually no. The but it's Apple a powerful itself. symbol that somehow accentuates the idea of the thing that it speaks for. And well, when we have a tool, we have metaphor that we can use to describe the indescribable, like the bird. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, yeah, you know that thing that's not a bat that has feathers? Yeah, that thing. Yeah, you know, that's that. they think that's a bird. They don't always fly, but – or like explaining a plane to somebody. The structural you know, functional organization yeah. was the term that he had yeah. for that. That's what makes the whole greater than the sum of its parts, and that's and, and you what can't the word logos that. points to. Like define you know, an engine by its Definition parts. is not understanding. We're starting to get into that. Um, yeah, just being able to have the words out there – or the, even the definition of a term does not express how it fits together. It's not no. the logic and the rhetoric. It's certainly not the logic or the actual doing involvement, involved it's, act of doing the thing. And it's quite literally not the thing. So there's levels of knowing either. there. There's different yeah. levels and ways of knowing as Pravake is speaking to us. And all of this is helping us be able to see around the various problems and conflicts in our world much more clearly, mm -hmm. understanding how they occurred, why they occurred, and how we can best compose ourselves to be able to be in relation with this time that humanity is in and be able to surf the wave wave gracefully and like you said play with mm -hmm. it you know be able to enjoy this process even as it's going to become difficult we can even see the beauty in the trials that we go through as a species in this time as we grow together so yeah let's try and do this thing let's try and make a better world together and we got people coming after us we got a lot of little people running around the world today and a lot of views and eyes well, out also, there that deserve to be why, treated better and why not do it yeah you why, know, there's why so not much, everyone's just adding <laughs> shit to the shit pile and we can you know we can freaking bring in some bulldozers of i don't mind being a like dung genuine, beetle genuine uh, appreciation of one another and like i'll, I'll lay my seeds in the shit yeah <laughs> Let's help, help that idea that the hippies were trying to sprout grow into something beautiful. Naive as they were, but still honest you know? with what they were trying to do, yeah. at least for a while. Yeah. yeah. Before it got co-opted and taken well, see, over. See, there's another idea. We can have an idea <laughs> of hippies, but what were, what were those people involved in? Yeah. What were they doing? What were, were their realizations composed of? And and it's actually mm -hmm. a really good stuff. You know, Some of our favorite people that ever existed came out of it, like Jimi Hendrix. Come on. Mm -hmm. like. And that guy was on point. You know, Actually, he said, "When the power of love, how do, how does that quote go? When the when the when love the, when the power of love uh, when the love of power oh yeah when the power of love, love overcomes, overcomes the love of power, power the world will know peace. I don't know if that's mistakenly attributed to him or not. But I, I think he basically maybe had his own way of saying something, uh, and he had a particularly concise way of saying." somebody else's quote it's attributed to but yeah i mean of course it's well if that's I've, okay if i've learned one thing he's further in the right idea um it's that there's no unique 
phrase saying anything under the sun, there's just reiterations in better detail according to when they were, you know, like pertinent and salient at, at the time. Right. All the great thinkers aren't just thinking of this stuff themselves. They are in conversation over the eons, the past linking with the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one continuous conversation. Yeah, and, we're all flawed human you know, beings, just getting better as we go, and we can really mm-hmm. rapidly ratchet that process up Guess together. What? We got thumbs. Thumbs are great, man. If it wasn't Dude, for thumbs, thumbs, we wouldn't be doing any of this stuff. Just saying, and the forebrain, and also the ability for our wrists to go like this. You That's could, handy. you couldn't write yeah. if you couldn't do that. The just tongue, saying. the way the tongue works, pretty awesome. Diaphragm yeah. control. Yeah, being able to hold your breath and go. Yeah. <sighs> being able to move my eyes, so I don't have to just move my head all the time. <laughs> yeah, That's right. Nice. I like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> you know the smell is really weird but that's useful but being able to like you know think about something that's going to happen later on down the line because you've been down that path before you can run down that path and <laughs> which i just did in my neighborhood down to the yeah. where we pick up the mail yeah. you know because i've been down that road so many times and i almost do it blind actually i can run i can run a mile in my head faster than i can in real life Ooh, wow <laughs> actually go through the whole process oh yeah yeah the street, <laughs> that's yeah. good training Oh, yeah, you just do it in fast mode. It's like, oh, I'm at the white church now. I'm good. Visualization I'm good. is legit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, hey, if you have trouble getting to sleep, um, visualize, visualization, because you'll get to this, the point where even if you're not good at it, you'll just tire yourself out. fun that is to out. do, too. You can actually take yourself into you'll get dream real good. Yeah, it. you'll yeah. get real good sometimes and yeah. really like pull yourself down. Sometimes where you, I'll get you'll like see something realistic super flying over depth. mountains. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, or even so just cool. objects where it's like a, like an object will come into your mind and suddenly you see it more clear than you've ever seen anything in your life. Whoa. And, and there it goes. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> you're like, Shh, oh, man, I love those realizations, too. Weird. you got to try and catch them when they happen. Oh, uh, yeah. All right. Well, have hope, people. Yeah. Keep on keeping on. If you uh, want to leave anything in the comments, uh, you know, comments, critiques, questions, uh, the best way to keep this going is to keep engaging and keep going with it because you're a part of it, too. That's it. We're all a part of the awakening from the mean crisis. Yeah, here we go. Well, thank you guys for tuning into this episode of Actual Eye Podcast with myself, Chris, and DJ. Check out our band. We've got some shows coming up on October 7th, this actual Friday. In a couple Friday. days, mm. we're going to be up in Baltimore at Zen West. Two days. And then on the 22nd, we will be up in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania at Love Drafts. And then November 4th, we're going to be down in Winchester at the Blue Fox. And all of these shows are going to be freaking amazing. i got to write these things down. I know. I'm actually remembering them right now. It's amazing. I'm so excited. Yeah. Thank you, Calendar. <laughs> hey, you know, yeah. I just show up and play the thing. You know, uh, you know I post thing. posting the flyers and everything. It's finally, yeah. finally cemented itself in my brain. But yeah, we'd love to see you guys come out if you're in the area. Come out to one of our shows. We're actually doing a little bit of travel on each of these. You know, we got Baltimore, Maryland. We got Mechanic, Mechanicsburg, PA, and then we got Winchester, Virginia. Win- so, Winchester is the close one. Maybe we'll find one or two listeners in that area. Come on out, check out America yeah, yeah, Dharma. Yeah. Chat with us. You in got person. another show coming up as well with Imaginary Man on the 8th. Saturday at the Mecklenburg Inn in Shepherdstown, West Virginia. Yeah, come on out. It's a little bar gig, so you know, come out early to get some food and then stay late so you can get drunk. Yeah, make yeah. sure that you have. I'm probably going to be driver. down there. Jesse's probably going to come down too. Q, he's trying to. Q. Yeah. All right, guys. Love y'all. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure to like and subscribe. Help the show reach more people. And we'll talk to you soon.